You're listening to Amphibicast. This episode of Amphibicast is sponsored by Grey Ghost Creations. Specializing in unique wildlife art for lovers of reptiles, amphibians, and arachnids, Grey Ghost Creations offers a wide variety of art prints, stickers, pins, necklaces, and more. To find more unique original art, be sure to visit Grey Ghost Creations on Etsy at www.greyghostcreations.etsy.com. Welcome back, everyone. Thanks for joining me again. You're listening to Amphibicast. I'm your host, Andrew Bates, and this week I have a great return guest. I haven't had him on in a long time, and it was great we got a chance to catch up. I have Richard Stewart of the Tarantula Collective, and uh, we're going to kind of vibe, have a nice uh, open conversation. We're going to talk about some serious stuff and some fun stuff as well. Uh, it is Halloween after all, and of course, this is the first Halloween-themed episode that I've done, and what better person to celebrate with uh, than my, my buddy Richard. So we're going to have a great conversation. And uh, before that, though, just want to give everybody a heads up. Uh, if you notice, my voice is a little bit off this week. I had a bad cold, and my voice kind of took a little bit of a beating. So I'm doing the best I can to power through this. I, I didn't want to reschedule. I really wanted to put this episode out. So uh, if this is your first time listening, I can assure you my voice sounds a little bit better than this. But I'm going to do the best I can. And for everybody interested in supporting the show, check out the link tree in the show notes. That'll take you to the Patreon page. You can support the show by becoming a patron. As low as a dollar a month, up to a $5 a month tier. A $5 a month tier will get you a shout out at the beginning of an upcoming episode. You'll also find a link to the merch store if you want to get some t-shirts. And uh, you'll also find a link to in-situ ecosystems. If you make a purchase through that link, you'll get a 10% discount off of an in-situ ecosystems vivarium just by being a listener of the show. And check out the link as well for our this week's sponsor, Grey Ghost Creations. Some amazing stuff, stickers, pins, all sorts of, of, of amazing artwork. If you're into tarantulas, if you're into arachnids, um, you know, sp- spiders, beetles, whatever, uh, you're into frogs, anything you could possibly imagine. Uh, Laura Airely, she's got some great stuff on her Etsy shop. Go check that out in the link tree. Uh, excuse me, in the uh, in the bottom of the show notes, and uh, pick up pick up some great stuff for uh, for Halloween because she's got some amazing artwork on there. And other than that, I've got Richard lined up, ready to go. Let's get into this week's episode. So, Richard, welcome back, man. Thank you for uh, coming back on. What what's going on tonight? Well, thank you for having me, man. I I really enjoyed being on last time. I I enjoy listening to your podcast, so it's it's uh, I was excited when you when you asked me to come back on. Oh, it's my pleasure to have you on. I mean, I'm always been a big fan of your content as well. Um, you know, for for the listeners who might not have caught that or might not necessarily be familiar, I, I kind of want to talk into some of the different things that you're into because you're you're a YouTuber, you're a podcaster, and you've got kind of a couple of different brands going on. Could you maybe just kind of catch up the listeners who might not have caught that episode, um, kind of what you're about, you know, what your presence is on YouTube and your podcast and maybe how you got into that? Sure. Yeah, I uh, I started off making videos about tarantulas. Uh, so I had the, uh, the YouTube channel set up and then kind of, you know, I had the Instagram and the Facebook and all that kind of stuff under Tarantula Collective. Uh, then I just, uh, I don't know. I was listening to a whole lot of podcasts and I was like, there's not a lot of Tarantula podcasts out there. So, um, kind of, you know, I decided we'll, we'll try it out. And really it was kind of like, I wanted to talk to people, you know, like you and other creators and dealers and scientists and stuff and kind of pick their brain get to know them and i figured if i'm going to do that might as well record it and put it out there because i'm sure if i have these questions other people are going to have these questions so I, I started the podcast and was getting some really good guests like i got a coyote peterson came on who's one of the first big guests like i, I was like it, it, he had no business coming on my podcast <laughs> like i was nowhere near big enough it was just a stroke of luck that he said yes um and then you know as as word got out over time uh you know a couple of some other uh 
big names kind of came on and, 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 you know, big creators. And it was, it was, I don't know, it was, it was doing really well. And at, at the moment I started the podcast, the best advice that you're getting from people that know about the YouTube algorithm and all that kind of stuff, they were saying, don't upload your podcast on your main channel. Cause it will, um, it, they won't have a very good click through rate. And then these other, you know, just different, uh, analytics they look at would be lower than your normal videos. And it could overall hurt your channel and, and reduce your reach. So I set up a second channel called the Exotic Pet Collective, which is also the name of the podcast, because uh, I wanted something that was going to be a little bit broader than just talking about spiders. And I figured this way we could talk snakes, we could talk geckos, because uh, I mean frogs and you know all kinds of different animals. So you know, I wanted to, to kind of have that freedom to, you know, not kind of pigeonhole it to just about tarantulas. So yeah, I did uh, did the podcast and uh, just took a break for a while when I moved into this new studio. Uh, channel was growing. And, uh, the, the photography side of the business was picking up, uh, I was, you know, getting, uh, kind of this side work, working for, you know, making social media content for other businesses and the hobbies and, uh, just needed more space it was outgrowing the basement. So I, uh, found a, like it was a dance studio <laughs> and I was like, I can turn this into a, a YouTube studio. So I signed the lease and moved everything in here. And during that time, I pretty much, I thought it was going to take me four to six weeks to have everything set up and ready to start, you know, hit the ground running. And it was a lot more work than I realized and a lot more money than I realized. And uh, it took me about six, nine months, probably about nine months uh, to, to really fully got, get everything set up and, and working and have the ability to do more than just a video every week or every other week. So just started recording podcasts maybe about a month ago, put a couple of new ones out so far, uh, just released one this past weekend. So it's like every Saturday, there'll be a new podcast coming out. Was there any particular reason you decide on Saturdays? Because like I, I, I pay. It's weird. I pay attention to the the days that certain podcasters release episodes, and I always release it on a Friday because I figured like Friday people have got the whole weekend, and I also kind of pay attention to similar podcasts that I know release on certain days. Like I try not to try not to release, you know, my episode the same day as as another podcaster's, but sometimes it just kind of happens. Was there any particular reason you chose Saturdays or just because it was a weekend? Oh, well, initially, Friday was actually, uh, I think the first couple seasons of the podcast, I would upload on, I believe it was, it was either Friday, Thursday or Friday. Uh, kind of the same reason. Like, I, I, I thought it would do best if it was at the end of the week, because uh, I knew a lot of the people that listened to my podcast were truck drivers. Uh, so we didn't really, you know, they were always on the road. So they were just happy anytime I uploaded it. But other than that, it was uh, people... Uh, you know, kind of working nine to five jobs that would be listening on their way to work and on their way back. And uh, it, it, it kind of seemed like if I let it, if I put it out at the end of the uh, end of the week, it would catch those people. But then also a lot of the people that just kind of listen to them on the weekends when they were, you know, taking care of their collections or, or you know, taking care of animals or traveling to shows and stuff like that. So I, and that's kind of what I, I knew a lot of people were going to expos. So I was like, the put it at the end of the week would be best. Uh, I switched to Saturdays mainly out of, um scheduling issues like i just i couldn't get it out in time so it's like instead of stressing out and trying to force it out i'm just gonna push it back a day or two and we'll just call it saturday yeah it's weird podcaster stuff and yeah we, we had to look out for each other though we podcasters should be uh should always be supportive of each other so i'm curious about the the video aspect of it now you you put a tremendous amount of time and effort into creating 
backdrops, lighting. Um, I mean, so much goes into your production value. It's, it's, it's really amazing. I've always enjoyed the quality of your videos. Can you maybe give us a hypothetical of, let's just say that you want to create a five-minute video from start to finish, from you know, setting up, lighting, and everything like that, to involving the animal. What's that process like, and how difficult is it? With the uh, type of videos I'm doing now, where I'm trying to film them in a naturalistic setup, um, it, you know, a five ten minute video is probably two weeks of time. Uh, I start off with trying to figure out which species I want to do the video on, and that's based usually off of who in the you know what tarantula is uh, looking good for video. I guess like I wait till a tarantula is freshly molted. Uh, you know, they they they're healthy. They're they're looking good, and they're you know, they're tent, they're, you know, they're calm, I guess. Cause sometimes, you know, a, a tarantula can just have a bad attitude for months and, and be defensive. So I, I don't want to work with, with them when they're, when they're defensive, I don't want to stress anybody out. So I kind of let the tarantulas tell me, you know, who's available, I guess. And, uh, so when I, I find a species that's looking great and is ready to, to be on camera, I will do my research. Um, so I'll go through, you know, basic Google search to kind of start off with kind of get like a general idea of what, not just what information is out there, uh, but what also what bad information is out there, what needs to you know, be, be updated or be addressed. Uh, and then I use uh, like ResearchGate, you know, uh, things like that to kind of pull up just different public, like any, any kind of published research paper from the scientific community, you know, either where they described it or, or they updated the species or, you know, any, anything that I could find. Uh, I got a couple of friends that are in, you know, like they're, they're going to school or they're professors or they still have, you know, access to some of those because some of those databases you either have to be a student or pay a lot of money to get access to those papers so i try to find workarounds for that get as much information as i can together and kind of just like throw it on a you know just like an outline and then uh, you know I'll, I'll have that information uh and then i'll film the tarantulas and that's a process that can take you know multiple days uh usually i would come in the morning maybe start filming around 10 a.m um the hardest part really is like during that research finding shots of the environment the tarantula is in you know a lot of times i'll tell you like it's a dry scrubland on the west coast of brazil or something like that uh but they don't it really just it's it's if there are photos it's usually so close up on the tarantula you can't really tell what plants are around so you know a lot of the research is just trying to find some good photos of where this tarantula lives and then trying to mimic that like i, I can't replicate it and i, I definitely can't go to costa rica <laughs> and, and i don't have access to all the plants in costa rica but i can get photos of them and then try and mix my substrate um that i use in the scent to kind of mimic that you know so i've got like different types of biodude substrate i've got you know some exoterra stone desert you know rocks i've got moss and leaves and I just like have shelves of stuff in my storeroom of just like natural dried products that I can, you know, branches and, and all that kind of stuff. So I'll get stuff that kind of resembles that and then kind of build this set to make it look like, you know, a, a good, you know, six foot section of <laughs> land in Costa Rica. And uh, then lighting it is, is a pain. I think right now I've got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven different types of lights kind of pointed at that set. So, you know, some of my, you know, turn them on, turn them off, change the temperatures and stuff like that. Just try to get lit uh in the vibe that i'm going for and then put the tarantula on there and uh sometimes they just and as soon as they come out of their enclosure they're just walking around and you know i can film and film and film and uh you know get you know within three or four hours have plenty of footage 
Uh, but sometimes they're, they're not very cooperative. They're a species that's more, you know, kind of docile and lazy, I guess. So they don't, they don't move. They're just like, you know, uh, pet rocks. So, you know, sometimes just, I'm just sitting there like a wildlife photographer in the jungle, you know, but I'm in the air conditioning, sitting on a comfortable chair with my camera in my hand, you know, already kind of locked on, focused onto the, on the tarantula and just waiting for it to start moving to hit record. Um, and one thing that I've done recently that's really kind of helped with that is I'll film with three cameras. So I'll have like the camera that I'm holding, but then on tripods, I'll have different angles and different lenses kind of focused a little bit wider. So when the tarantula is moving, I can hit record on all three cameras and that maybe that 20 seconds of it walking, I can record in slow motion from three different angles, slow it down. And I've got a couple minutes of footage out of that. So it's a, it's, it's a long process and then you get all that done, you know, and then it's like, now I have to go through and, and kind of form a story based off of the types of shots I was able to get. So I use the memory of the, the whatever actions the tarantula was doing along with all the facts and information that I compiled. And from that, try to write a story, you know, telling like the tarantulas, you know, trying to like, I don't know, maybe um, personalize the tarantula a little bit, give it a name, you know, kind of uh, have like spiderlings, juveniles and adults of the same species. So I'll film all three of like all, all the different life stages and then kind of just in, in the art of storytelling, I guess, kind of act like they're all the same tarantula, like I followed it its entire life or something like that from spiderling to an adult. So, you know, I kind of write little stories like that, record the voiceover, just like how we're recording a podcast right now. And uh, so, you know, write out the story, record it, and then edit it. And that, you know, that's a good three or four days from like, you know, get in at nine, 10 o'clock in the morning. I'm here to six, seven o'clock at night, just editing the entire time, trying to get sound effects and music and, and get all that kind of taken care of and color grading and yeah, it's a, it's a long process and it gets frustrating sometimes because people feel, you know, it feels like they think just because it took me five to 10 minutes to watch this video, it probably only took you five to 10 minutes to make. <laughs> it's like, why aren't you making more content? And it's like, because it, it took me two weeks to make this one video. I can't do that on a weekly basis. <laughs> yeah, people don't always realize that it takes, like for, for every few seconds of content, it, it can take hours and hours and hours. And especially when you're dealing with, with living things. Are there certain yeah. individual tarantulas that just cooperate more for you? Like you have like like a go-to three, four, five, six tarantulas that you know, like, all right, well, if this one isn't cooperating, maybe I can use this one for a video this week. Like, the, Or is it just kind of however they feel in the moment? Yeah, I mean, there's specific species or even genuses, you know, like... um gramistolas and uh like the gramistola pulchra gramistola pulchrapes brazilian black tarantula chocolate goldeny tarantula is their common names i don't know how familiar your listeners are with the scientific names but uh those are always they're just they're always up for a good time you know what i mean they're always kind of they're they're not shy but they're also not defensive you know they're just cool tarantulas that you, you open up the door and they'll walk out onto your hand and those i could film all day i really enjoy those a lot of the brachypelma species so most of your new world terrestrials, with the exception of some of the Afonopelmas, like the Calcodes, they can be a little stubborn. <laughs> they'll like take three steps and then stop for 60 seconds or a couple of minutes, and then they'll take three more steps. So sometimes that can be frustrating. Uh, and it, But in those instances, I essentially just have to film it, and they stop walking, and then I got to stop moving and just freeze until they start walking again, and then follow them with the camera, and then go and edit out that pause <laughs> and try to make it look like it was they were walking. 
and then I found some tips and you know some tricks of the trade. You know, like uh, if you want your if it's a tarantula that is more slow and docile, I'll make it warmer in the room. You know, so I'll I'll pump the temperature up to like seventy six or seventy eight. Uh, still well within their, you know, their, uh, you know, a good temperature for them, I guess. <laughs> I can't remember the, 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 it's like within their safe temperature range. It's just on the warmer end because the way the tarantulas are, that you know, they're uh, ectothermic, I believe was the, the term that I was getting thrown around in the last podcast I was I recorded. So they they're, they got hemoglyph. They don't really have blood. Uh, and, and when that gets warmer, it's kind of like the tarantula is like a hydraulic system. So that kind of thins out the the hemolith a little bit and it makes them move faster and easier. So those tarantulas I will film in a hot room. Uh, some of the old world species that are a lot faster, I'll drop the temperature down to like 68. And it's cooler. So they'll, they're, they just move a little bit slower and a little easier to kind of handle and film. And it's just safer. Yeah, I caught that episode. I, I, I can't remember the term that your guest used. It was like, um, it sounded like pokey. It was like... Um... It's like poikothermic. Yes, I, I don't remember. Yeah, but I, I, they, they pick up on different temperature gradients and it adjusts their, mm-hmm. um, like their behavior. And I guess I don't know if it. Yeah, and the warmer they get, the higher their metabolism, and vice versa. So uh, they'll have a higher metabolism, and the hemolymph is is thinner, uh, not as viscous. Yeah, yeah, and and the um. I remember, I mean, just, I mean, again, if you guys haven't listened to Richard's podcast, go back and check it out. Cause he had the uh, last guest you had on actually had some frog experience too. And one of the things that he was talking about was humidity and, um, the, the effect that humidity can have on the, the book lungs. Yeah. And I was always wondering why certain species just need such moist substrate. And I started thinking, I'm like, it maybe it has something to do with the book lungs. Maybe just like they, they they stay hydrated through respiration, even though it's kind of mm-hmm. like indirect respiration, whatever you'd call it. Yeah. I don't know. It's just, there's so many little complexities to these things that I feel like for the longest time, people really didn't know anything about. And I feel like now that there's more of an interest, mm-hmm. people are more inclined that's, to find out. And that's the exciting thing about having the podcast, like kicking the podcast back off right now is uh, one, I just have access to a lot more people than I did when I first started it. Uh, and, but it's also that there's this, this kind of explosion in the tarantula hobby. I don't know how it is with, you know, the other niches and, and, you know, the exotic pet kind of hobby, but there's a lot more people that are keeping tarantulas. There are a lot more people that have been keeping tarantulas for a while and started young. So they're getting into school, you know, they're going to college and they're wanting to work with invertebrates, specifically tarantulas. They want to research them. And so it's like for years, decades, we've been complaining how there isn't enough research going on into these animals. And, you know, within the past couple of years, they're starting to, you can just see that there's, there's a lot more focus getting put on them just because of the interest that's kind of come out of the pet hobby. You know, people like they're, they're watching my YouTube videos and, and other creators, YouTube videos, and, and they started, they got their own pet tarantula and they were keeping it and they enjoyed it. And they, re, they also realized what lack of uh, just scientific research has been done on these animals. And, and they're like, I'm going to step up and I'm going to fill that void. So a lot of the guests that I get to come on to my podcast are, you know, PhD students that are telling me about the research that they're doing and the research that they found that was done a decade ago or two decades or three decades ago that's just been buried in a library somewhere they were able to kind of pull out and give it and, and you know give it to the rest of the hobby you know it's like it's it's information that's interesting and uh, you know some of the some of the uh you know experiments that they were doing on tarantulas are kind of brutal <laughs> you're like that's that's not very humane but 
you know, not everybody appreciates tarantulas as pets. You know, they could just kind of see them as a, it's just an invertebrate, you know? So it's that, that part's kind of weird, but it's really interesting. Some of the research that's being done and there's this like, I don't want to say it's a Genesis or anything like that, but there's a movement uh, within the hobby with the realization that the tarantulas are a little bit more intelligent than we've probably given them credit for. They have a little bit, uh, they have more, they have a little bit of ability to kind of learn and remember and, uh, you know, so that they're going to need enrichment in their environment. You know, a lot of people just kind of been keeping them in sterilite tubs with just cocoa fiber and in, in a, in a, you know, just a tube or something, you know, so it, that was like the cool thing about keeping tarantulas is that their, their husbandry was very cheap. You can get the cheap substrate, you can get a cheap plastic box for an enclosure and just use whatever's around your house for hides and water dishes. Um, but the research is starting to come out and some of the research is being done is showing that, you know, they're not like intelligent, like a dog or anything, but they will benefit from having better conditions, uh, better enrichment in their enclosures, and maybe even like better kind of like day and night cycles, um, temperature gradients, humidity gradients, you know, it's like these, all these things that we just, we never really did in the tarantula hobby. It's starting to be like, okay, maybe we should be doing this. So that, that's exciting kind of seeing things grow. Yeah. I think that more and more we're, we're, starting to become aware of, of things that are analogous between different species. I mean, obviously you can be dramatically far off on the evolutionary chain, but we're all at the end of the day, still made of the same things. We're all made of the same molecules and life, yeah. life is not, I mean, life is different, but life is not that dramatically different that it's outside the realm of what we can you know, comprehend. So yeah, I think that there's 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 a lot of I mean with the, with the frog world it, a lot of the a lot of the research is really more like disease research and um you know tr trying to c curb uh the spread of pathogens, but I I feel like with tarantulas, I mean to my knowledge other than habitat destruction, I don't know that like and obviously, you know, over collection in the wild, but I don't know of any diseases that are like killing tarantulas to the extent that frogs are. So I, yeah. I feel like that's actually, I mean, for, for tarantulas, it's a good thing because that gives people the benefit of being able to explore other areas in need of research, like everything that you just mentioned. Yeah. In nature, I, I don't really know of, of any blights uh, that's affecting them, but in captivity, they're definitely, uh, it's something that just kind of popped off over in the UK. They had a big breakout of nematodes. Uh, there's like a there's two species I believe of nematodes that affect tarantulas, and essentially once they got them, it's like a death sentence. And there's just not a lot of research on how to get rid of them, how they you know get transmitted between species because it'd be a situation where somebody bought a tarantula from a dealer that had nematodes, they didn't realize it, they brought it in their collection, and by the time they realized this tarantula is sick, uh, the the nematodes had spread to other tarantulas. You know, so it's like, you know, you get a pet reptile, you got to quarantine it. But that never has been in the care discussion of tarantulas. Like people get a new tarantula, they put it in a new enclosure, and they put it on the shelf with the other ones, and it's never been an issue. Uh, but with this breakout, and, and I'm not exactly sure when I say breakout, it may be like two or three people got nematodes. But when that doesn't happen for years at a time, and then all of a sudden it happened to multiple people, it's kind of concerning because it's something that's just pretty, you know, it, it, could, it could decimate a collection. And, I, when I heard that, I started doing some research, reaching out to people, and found out there's actually been a couple of dealers in the United States who pretty much lost their entire stock of tarantulas to nematodes. 
but they didn't ever say it publicly because they were afraid that would destroy their business. You know what I mean? Like if they get known as a dealer with nematodes and nobody's going to buy from them again. So you know, they, they, it's, it's, it's in the U S it's, it's happened, but it's not talked about. So that's, uh, I got a guest coming on the podcast, I believe next week, who is a, um, a scientist that actually specializes in nematodes. And we're going to talk about that and kind of get some of the information because it's, there's just not very much information out there. There's an interesting parallel. And I, I discussed this on a, excuse me, trying to push through my voice. Uh, I I had Dr. Matt Gray on a few episodes ago, and we talked about the effects of amphibian disease in, in captive populate, you know, captive bred populations that were being you know, sold as, as, as pets or however you want to call it. And, uh, yeah, it's true. There have been some pretty major, uh, breeders in the U S that have sustained losses to disease, but they don't want to admit it because it's, it's, it's bad for business. And I mean, justifiably so I, I get that, but I never would have thought that it would have been, um, because you really, when you think of tarantulas, you really don't think of disease, especially the way that you think of with, with amphibians. I mean, you look at them funny and they die. But um, that's that's wild to, to to hear that. That's um, it's interesting. Yeah. This is a parallel. I never th- I never even thought of. Yeah, and and you know I, I know that it, it, and the people that got the nematodes, it wasn't because they were it was it wasn't an issue of poor husbandry or anything like that. Like it was just they had an import come in, and some of them had them, and that's kind of you know and, and what we there's just not a lot of research on there, and not a lot of people want to talk about it, especially publicly. So it's kind of hard to gather information uh, regarding the topic, but it seems, and this is, you know, me speculating more than anything, but it seems like the issue is an import will come in, you know, usually from Europe that will contain some tarantulas that were wild caught. And the person importing them may or may not know that that species was wild caught. They, you know, I, I'm not going to get into the, all that, but so it, it seems like the issue, the, the root of it is coming from wild-caught tarantulas. And usually if they're wild-caught, they're n- maybe not on board, above board. You know what I mean? So it's like if we stop, you know, illegally removing animals from the wild, that's going to kind of cut off some of these issues at the, at the knees. Um, but when it comes to tarantulas, man, there's, there could be dozens of neurological and fungal and, and you know, uh, parasitical parasitic and, and you know and just there could be all kinds of diseases we just don't know about them because nobody's researching them in tarantulas because there's no money in that you know what i mean like so we we have dks in the tarantula hobby which is kind of a catch-all thing for i don't know what the hell's wrong with my tarantula but it's dying you know we we don't know if dks is caused by environmental or bacterial or you know neurological we, we, we don't know the source of it we just know what it looks like and it's very possible that what we see we're calling DKS could actually be three or four different diseases that, you know, all kind of, because with tarantulas, you, you don't know that they're sick until it's at the, the, the very end. You know, they don't run in temperature. They don't breathe weird. You know, <laughs> you can't see their eyes and they don't get milky or anything. You know, there's no physical kind of uh, aspects that you can identify in a tarantula that's sick until it's like, it's too late to do anything about it. And they're twitching and they're curling up. So, you know, with more research and more people getting into studying tarantulas and being interested about them, we may actually find that they do have some diseases that have been prevalent. We just didn't know how to identify them and let alone treat them. It, it's similar with frogs, especially the the f- fragile nature and, and the same thing. You don't, I mean, there will be signs or something's wrong, but usually by the time symptoms manifest, it's usually, usually too late, um, unfortunately. But I, I, 
it, I'm, it's funny because as we're going on, I'm just, I'm just, there's so many parallels here. And, um, I often wonder the, the more animals that we have in captivity, especially after multiple generations in captivity, like our, our wild animals that we have in captivity to multiple generations. I mean, my personal perspective is I think that we're by repeatedly breeding them over and over, we're semi-domesticating them. And I feel like certain problems are going to show up in a more domesticated stock than potentially in wild stock because we, we've selected them to survive in a certain environment, which is realistically captive. And the more animals that are out there that haven't been picked off, you know, picked off by natural selection, we're, we're going to see a much broader array of, of situations because i mean when you think about it out of a out of a sack of what a thousand slings maybe how many would actually make it to adulthood i, I don't know a small percentage and the same thing with frogs so i wonder what the future is going to hold but that's it's definitely interesting to to know that there are people out there doing this type of research like i i love stuff like that i i, I hope it's a shame that more topics like this really don't get the um the attention that they deserve it's interesting that you say that because I've had the same line of thinking, but came to a different conclusion. Like I've also thought a lot about all the captive breeding with tarantulas, at least. I mean, that's where my experience lays. And it, to me, uh, something I think I've said before on, on my podcast was, uh, I, I feel like when we get a new tarantula, you know, a new tarantula is discovered or it, it was somehow removed from the, the wild and is introduced into the hobby. You know, maybe they were able to, to import some out of this country and, they started breeding them it, it seems like that initial couple of egg sacs that come out from from a new species like well for example we'll talk uh, t celadonia uh it's a pretty popular arboreal tarantula that's just beautiful gorgeous but fragile and it seemed like the the first people that were able to breed them in the u.s and produce an egg sac there was a maybe and and don't quote me on this anymore like I, i'm just making this number up based off anecdotal evidence i guess but We'll say 80% of the egg sac was, they, they, they died off before they hit like one year, right? So there was a high mortality rate. But then you had some of those that survived and they were, they were raised up and then they bred. Uh, and I, my thinking was because they sur survived living in captivity over the other ones, that there's the stronger breed, you know, the stronger stock, so to speak. And then you breed that stronger stock male with a stronger stock female they're going to produce babies that are going to be more apt to, to live in captivity. And I was saying that was a good thing. Like we're kind of breeding out the weakness and, you know, we're kind of through natural, not natural selection, but <laughs> captive breeding selection in a sense. Um, we're, we're creating like, bloodlines that are going to live. They're going to be hardier in captivity, so to speak. Uh, and they're going to, there'll be a, a less, a smaller mortality rate in the exacts. But then, you know, I'm not a scientist. That was just kind of, my logical progression yeah well, that's that that's i mean that was that really that was the same conclusion i came to in part because obviously like we've like for example with with the ufaga genus of frogs um it's they're more fragile than than dendrobates or phyllobates arguably and um what was happening was ufaga lamani which is a it's, it's still a difficult animal to keep in captivity unless you have everything really just right and um they were I mean, I don't want to rehash the whole discussion, but like um, the ones that we have in captivity have just been selected for survival in captivity over successive generations. So just like you said, yeah, you're right. Like the, the animals that just could not thrive in captivity just 
you know, through our unnatural selection process, just, just kind of wiped them out. And the ones yeah. that were adapted to survive in our captive conditions, they obviously, just like you said, they, they thrived and reproduced. I just meant that with more healthy animals now out there, there's just a, a greater pool to, to draw on. Like, um, yeah. yeah, like, like with, I mean, with dogs and cats, uh, you know, there's millions of dogs and cats. So there's out of, let's just say you have 5 million cats out of those, you're going to see a lot more cases just by percentage, just because of the volume of animals in the hobby. Like, whereas like with, with frogs and tarantulas and whatnot, I mean, there's probably millions in the hobby now, as opposed to like when you and I were younger, like in the nineties when there might've been what a few hundred thousand. So yeah. like, like the more eyes that are out there looking, the more you're going to find. That's a statistic I would really like to know. Like, how many people out there keep tarantulas, and how many do they have? You know what I mean? Like, it's it's hard to kind of get, especially when you're talking. Like, I thought maybe I was getting a good idea, and then I went to AnimalCon last month and met some guys from Poland that you know have channels just as big as mine, and we have they would speak two different languages. You know what I mean? So like, I I don't think very many of their viewers are watching my videos and vice versa. Like, I didn't even know they existed until I went to AnimalCon. I was like, holy crap, you've got. 150,000 subscribers this is amazing. I didn't know you existed. And, and we're in the same niche. You know, we're, we're both talking, making videos about tarantulas. And so there's got to be a guy in China and Japan and, you know, South, who knows where else, every country out there in every language. There's probably somebody, people out there making content. So yeah, I would love to know how many people worldwide keep tarantulas as pets. I think there was a certain, a certain shift around like the real early 2000s. And th this was my kind of eureka moment. Um, I live in the same neighborhood as Tom Patterson and Tom worked at a pet store in the neighborhood that had everything, um, really incredible reptile section. And it was, the pet store was amazing. It, it long since closed, but, um, whatever relationship that Tom had with the owner, he had an importing license and he would bring in everything. This is the first time I ever saw like a, a pokey and it was, it was, it would think it was, a, uh, it was I think it was a P or nada. And I remember looking at it and I was like, I've never seen anything like this before in my life. I mean, to my knowledge, the only tarantulas I ever saw were Brachypelma or, or Phonopelma. And I mean, he had everything. And it was about that point I realized like, wow, there's a whole world out there that I don't know about. And I wonder if the, like the species diversification prompted people to get more because now there was so much more available. I mean, like you, you started off with what I think you had a, um, you had a, a, rose, a, a rose hair, right? I mean, when, at what point did you realize that there were hundreds, if not thousands of more species that you could keep? Like, what, what, when would when did you hit that moment? Like, maybe eight years ago, seven, eight years ago. Like, I, I had a rose hair and had, like, I just had, uh, like, I went to the pet shop. They had one tarantula uh, or one species of tarantula. You know, they maybe had, like, six or seven of them, but they were all, the, they all looked the same. They're just slightly different sizes. So I, I picked one and I had that one until she died, you know, many, many years. And then... I was, you know, I, I think the girl I was dating at the time felt bad. So she went to the pet store and got another one and it looked exactly the same. <laughs> you know what I mean? I was like, I got another rose hair. So I just think I, I just called it, I think the first one was Taronga and I just pulled a Simpsons. So it was like, the second one was like, it's Taronga too. <laughs> you know, kind of like how they did with their dog. <laughs> and uh, um, yeah. And then I, I essentially what happened is I, I got married uh, and I didn't have a tarantula at that point. I had moved and, and just hadn't had one for a while. And, you know, we, we were, like, we had a house and I realized like, I'm not going anywhere for a long time and I want to get a pet tarantula. So I got a, I went to the pet shop thinking they would have tarantulas and all they had were spiderlings. So instead of getting like a full grown adult, 
they were trying to sell me this like little tiny thing. And I was like, all right, well, it's cheap, so I'll buy it. But I don't know how to take care of it this small. So I got online and started looking. Um, and that's where I found, you know, uh, tarantula Facebook groups and tarantula YouTubers. And the the biggest thing was the tarantula dealers. You know, it was like I, I'd saw, I'd, I'd see stuff on arachnoboards because I mean, I've been on that for years. But they were just like species names, occasionally some pictures. I didn't, I wasn't on, I was, I would just get on arachnid boards to look up, you know, try to research whatever issue I was dealing with. I wasn't just like scrolling through the the different threads and, you know, reading. So, um, yeah, it was, it was about the time I, I was searching something through Google and a tarantula dealer popped up and it was, I know they're now defunct. I think it was like, um, what were they called? Pet Center USA or something like that. Uh, notorious guy uh, these days. But, um, I saw all of the tarantulas. I mean, I mean over a hundred different species and he had pictures of all of them. And I was just, it, my mind was just blown. I was like, I didn't realize that these were in the States that could be owned as pets. And, and I, my, my addictive personality kicked in and I just started buying them by the dozen, getting all these different species and, and they were spiderlings. So they were really easy to take care of. They're really tiny. They weren't expensive. So it, it just, I quickly grew from, you know, one tarantula to, you know, 30 tarantulas, probably within a six weeks, eight weeks, something like that. And then it's just kind of been slowly growing ever since. How many individuals do you have now? Would you say? I think we just did uh, I got an app now that I use the arachnophiles app to kind of keep track of all of the animals, uh, at least all the arachnids and some of the other invertebrates going off that app. I've got 223 invertebrates. So, you know, that's, Tarantulas, uh, probably around 200. Uh, then I've got some true spiders like black widows, huntsman spiders, wolf spiders, um, uh, other true spiders. That I can't like uh, uh, megalomorphs, like uh, you know, curtain web spiders, um, and funnel web spiders, stuff like that. And, and then millipedes and isopods, which are you know aren't, aren't included on that. I don't think that they're in the app. And then I've also got a couple crested geckos, a couple day geckos. Um, I got a gargoyle gecko, Chinese cave gecko, leopard gecko. I like geckos. It's okay, geckos. They don't breed them or anything like that, but just slowly adopted them or, or picked them up at shows. So I got some snakes and geckos, but um, yeah. So all, all in, you know, maybe there's probably 260 animals here. And this is all in your professional space, right? You don't keep anything in your home anymore, right? Yeah, that's the weird thing. I don't, and, and, and I almost did. I almost kept a king snake and a couple of tarantulas there, but my worry really was everything is so centralized and like everything that I do to take care of the animals is here at the studio now. So I kind of felt like if I had them at home, they would be getting subpar care because I wouldn't be, you know what I mean? I don't know if that makes sense, but I wouldn't have access to all of the tools and, 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 you know, just stock and stuff that I have at the studio. I'd have to remember to, oh, I need to bring this home to give it to the snake or, uh, you know, I need to bring the tarantula back to the studio to rehouse it and then bring it back home. And I was like, I'm just going to leave it all. We're just moving everybody to the studio so I can take care of them. And I hired a guy to kind of help me also to, he's a zoology student at the local university. So he knows a lot about animals and, and he can, he, he comes in once or twice a week to, you know, help me feed and water and stuff like that. So, you know, I, I wanted everybody to be here so they get the best possible care. It's got to be good for your work-life balance too, to be able to go home and, you know, put it put it away until the next day. Yeah, um, I, I almost said unfortunately, not unfortunately, but since the last time we spoke on your podcast, I've adopted a four-year-old girl. So <laughs> now going home is that's the hard part. I kind of look forward to being at work. 
That's great though. Congratulations. I'm I'm happy for you. Yeah, I, I I it's funny because I I try to balance my animal time to to everything else, and then I realize like the absurd amount of time. And I don't I have nothing compared to the collection that you have and some of the breeders I've had on the show. Yeah, but I I I, I tell myself like I, I I was you know I was sick the past weekend, and I'm laying in bed and I'm like shit. I'm like I didn't go downstairs. I I don't you know, and I'm like obsessing over it and I'm like. All right, it, it's cool. You've been doing this a long time. You don't have to worry, but yeah. uh, it's it's nice to just kind of take a break and walk away from all that hustle yeah, and bustle I mean, and everything. You got to make time for yourself. Exactly. I mean, before I got to, that was that was like the the main reason I needed to get a studio. I mean, I was one. I was kind of outgrowing the basement. Like I was expanding, and you know, I've got a fourteen year old son, and he was also you know he's becoming a man he's wanting his space and you know he wants to play his video games and not have me sitting across the room because he wants to talk trash and you know probably cuss and whatever he doesn't want his his dad listening so uh you know it it, it kind of it got I got to the point like you know there was no i would wake up in the morning i'd go down to the basement and i'd start working whether that was feeding animals rehousing cleaning enclosures or filming or editing or whatever it was and I would do that, and then you know the kids would come home from school, the wife would come home from work. I'd go upstairs, I'd eat dinner, we'd sit around, and we'd start watching TV. And instead of seeing that as like quality time or relaxing time, I just started feeling guilty. Like there's so much work that it needs to get done, and it's just below my feet. So I would end up going downstairs and working, and then I'd, I'd come upstairs and everybody be in bed, and you know, and be like, well, crap, <laughs> it's midnight. I just worked all day. You know, and it's just sometimes I'm like, you know, I struggle with insomnia. So sometimes I, I'd wake up at 2 a.m. and I couldn't get back to sleep. So it's like, shoot, I just go downstairs and work. And then we'd work until the sun comes up and be like, well, now I need to get it a couple hours of sleep. And then, you know, so it, it, was, it was just, it was, it was destroying me, man. I was having other health issues as well. So it was just like, it's like, I, I gotta, I gotta get out of the house and have somewhere to go so that I have somewhere to leave and I can leave this behind. And in addition to the the content that you make, for YouTube and your podcast and whatnot, you have a production company that you do non spider videography and photography, right? Arachne Productions. Yeah. Tell us yeah. about that. Yeah. I, I named it Arachne Productions after the Greek myth of Arachne, which is kind of where the word arachnid uh, originated from. And, you know, it, it's just a cool story, kind of reminding, it's just like uh, the moral of the story is, you know, to be humble, essentially. Um, so I, I did that because I was starting to do product photography for tarantula cribs, uh, who makes enclosures for tarantulas, obviously, but you know, other inverts and, you know, some small reptiles and stuff can, can do that. So I was, he would come up with a new enclosure. He'd send it to me. I'd photograph it. Uh, you know, he'd pay me for that. And then that he would use those photos for his website and social media. And through that other businesses started seeing it, started reaching out to me, wanting to, uh, want me to do photography for, you know, their, their business. And some of them weren't really related to the exotic pets at all. And I was like, I'm taking photos of silicone plates for babies and, and stuff like that, where people selling on Etsy, they're making art, they're, they're 3d print and stuff. So I started getting work through there. Um, and then that also kind of turned into filming content that these businesses could use for their social media. Uh, and started reaching out to some other places around town, like, you know, filming what I guess what they, they kind of, can call industrial videos, which are just like people like at a corporation talking to like training videos or uh, new hire video, you know, that, that got like really boring stuff. Uh, I got a couple of jobs doing that. 
uh, film my sister's wedding, you know, just, just yeah, I, I, I got these skills. i learned how to use the camera. I learned how to edit video and stuff like that. And, you know, with the, the, you know, there's, there's a lot of need for that out there and the people that are doing it are really expensive sometimes. And, uh, so yeah, it was kind of easy to, to, to do that, make some extra money. So yeah, that's what Arachne production is. It's just kind of like the commercial side of you know, the little side jobs I get. How do you think the, the general public perceives tarantulas? And by that, I mean, I mean, this is kind of a Halloween episode and we'll, we'll talk about some Halloween stuff, but I mean, obviously the association of spiders with Halloween and horror and stuff like that. And then there's the general, <clears throat> sorry, my voice is acting up again. Um, the, the general perception of people who might be fearful or uncomfortable or just not know anything about spiders. How does all that coalesce in your world? Because realistically, your your whole life is based around tarantulas. How do you interact with people outside of the tarantula world? Yeah, I think the general stereotype of a tarantula keeper is, you know, like a goth kid in their basement. Yeah, somebody listen to heavy metal or you know punk rock or you know somebody that's antisocial, and that's definitely there's definitely those people. Uh, but the the more you kind of get involved in the hobby and the more people you meet, you realize there's a lot of scientists, there's a lot of naturalists, there's a lot of there's doctors, there's lawyers, there's teachers. You know, they're, they're all walks of life, uh, all kinds of people with all different tastes in music and movies and politics and and any philosophy you can come up with. They, they have nothing in common other than uh, they like to keep tarantulas, you know, you, poor people, rich people, young people, old people. It's, it, it's, it's all over the place. So, you know, kind of overcoming that stereotype that, you know, we're not just a bunch of kids dressed in black, <laughs> you know, with tattoos and piercings, keeping these, that there's, there's all types of people to do it. Um, is it kind of a hard, it's been a hard kind of stereotype to break, but I, I would say in the past, at least since COVID, I think that's really started to shatter because there's been so many different people that started making YouTube videos and started, you know, Instagram and TikTok and, and, you know, it's, so it's becoming very accessible. A lot of people are seeing it. Uh, Billie Eilish came on TV with her pet tarantula on some late night talk show. And, and I think that like really brought in a bunch of younger kids, especially females. Um, and you got people like tarantula cat, her channel's blowing up. Uh, and and it, it's funny because she and I are friends. We make, we both make YouTube videos about tarantulas. But when we compare our demographics, you know, our analytics, it's like the the Venn diagram of, you know, the overlap of our, our uh, you know, different viewers is maybe only like 30 or 40%. So, I mean, she's got a lot of viewers that have no interest in what I make and vice versa. So, there, you know, that just kind of highlights the wide, you know, all the different types of people that keep tarantulas out there. So, you know, it's when I am talking to people, especially if I have a client that isn't involved in the exotic pet trade and some of them that are you know like i've had some snake guys come over some people that make enclosures they come to the studio and they are not excited about the fact there are tarantulas here and you know and, and some of the questions that i get asked are ridiculous i think i may have mentioned this on that podcast last time but one of the questions for whatever reason you tell people you have 200 tarantulas they assume it is a room with 200 free roaming spiders i don't know why they would assume that but like that's what's what people are scared of. Like I won't want to come over to your house or I don't want to come over to your studio because I don't want to I don't want to be around the tarantulas. And I'm like, well, they're in enclosures. Like they're all separated. They've got their own environment. And they're like, oh, okay. Well, then maybe I'll come over. And it's like, you think I just had spiders crawling on my wall? Like, <laughs> why would you think that? Like what <laughs> logical person? But I mean, that's just it's fear. People don't know and they assume the worst, especially when it comes to spiders. So, you know, that's something 
that's almost like the the goal of what I do is to try and remove that fear. You know, try to through you know kind of like uh, uh, immersion therapy, essentially, like make videos that are as close as I possibly can get to the spider and show as much detail, show as much natural behavior, and and include as much information about them as I can, so people can watch it in a safe environment, learn about the spider, see how they move, and and kind of like realize that a lot of the the preconceptions they have are just bullcrap that's just fear-mongering that they is based in no fact at all it's just based off hollywood movies or something they you know saw in a, a scary story so you know it, with all the education that i'm doing on my channel and other people are, are doing you know on through all the different types of social media i think that that's we're really starting to overcome some of that in a way uh and and as a whole the hobby seems to kind of look down on anybody that tries to sensationalize tarantulas to be scary you know like once you know uh you know a basic yeah once you have a basic understanding of tarantulas seeing somebody trying to scare you with a tarantula oh it just looks absurd you know like trying to paint a a, a desert blonde tarantula as a scary venomous dangerous animal it's like it's a it's a kitten <laughs> it's a kitten with eight legs and it's slow moving and it's docile like there's nothing scary about this spider other than it's big and it looks weird it's like being scared of a moldy potato. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I um, I was a huge arachnophobe. I was terrified of spiders. I mean, it, it, part of me is still admittedly slightly uncomfortable with certain true spiders and whatnot. But I, the more I realized that there was just this immense variety and this, this intrinsic beauty, I mean, like a P. metallica or... Um, trying to think of or, or or gbb or any of those species that have blue like once i realized that they were blue tarantulas and purple tarantulas i like i started appreciating them completely differently and that all that horror was just was just gone you know and like you, you know when you, yeah. you, you, you kind of get a little curious and like oh, let me let me try this let me feel this out a little bit and then i took the plunge and i i, I started i got i got some around, around around 2016 i think 2017 maybe and um it's just, I, I just, I, I, I don't know. I just, I just enjoy them. But like, I don't, I don't bring it up in conversation. Like when I, people like, uh, I, yeah, I have six tarantulas and they, what, you know, the same thing. Like, like, do you keep them all together? And it's like, no, no, I don't. A lot of times I just don't mention yeah. it because I, I don't want to, I don't want to hear the negative stuff or just go through the usual nonsense and I don't I like to, I don't like to force people into, it, you know what I mean? Like if someone comes over and it's like, I'm not into it, like, I don't, I, you don't have to be into it. I don't yeah. expect you to like it. I don't, honestly, I don't want you to like it. If it's not inside your comfort zone, I'm not going to like force you on this. It's like, I feel like a lot of people out there expect people to be tolerant of absolutely everything. Like just, just because I like something doesn't mean that you, you have to like it and not be, some people just, they're legit afraid. So like I, right. I try to be respectful of that and it's weird because it actually disarms people. Like people mm -hmm. are like, well, why aren't you like throwing it at me? I'm like, because that's wrong. I mean, number one, I'm not going to throw my tarantula at you, but yeah. uh, I don't want you to have a bad experience with it, you know? And then people seem to respond to that. Yeah. I mean, I started as a as an arachnophobe as well. I mean, that's that was kind of my origin story. Is I was scared of them and I got one to kind of overcome it and it, it's grown from there. But, you know, even when I was in my 20s and partying hard and you know having parties at the house and the tarantula was sitting on the uh, you know, on the bookshelf or on the counter or wherever it was and i well one time i was kind of drunk and i messed with it and trying to like impress people and she kind of lunged at me 
and scared me. And I was like, all right, I'm not doing that again. <laughs> I just embarrassed myself in front of my friends. Um, but I, you know, I never took her out and tried to scare people with her or anything like that. You know, the only thing I did, I had, I had one friend, uh, from college who would come over and she, she liked to come over to the apartment, uh, where my girlfriend and I lived just cause it was quiet and she liked to read. So she'd come over, take her shoes off, prop them up on the, on the coffee table and read her book for hours, you know, and I'd be playing video games or doing or playing guitar or something. And I somehow I'd convinced her because sometimes a tarantula, it would just see a movement. So it kind of look in that direction or it would just be standing and vaguely looking in her direction. And I convinced this, this, this girl that the tarantula wanted to eat her toes. So, <laughs> you know, but that we were, you know, college kids probably, you were probably stoned or something <laughs> just like, but she believed it that this tarantula wanted to eat her toes. She couldn't get her toes close to it. <laughs> so, like that was the, the meanest thing I ever did with my spiders. Uh, but, yeah, ever since then, it's um, it's like the worst part because you know I, I I quit my job. I'm doing this full time. Since I've been in the studio about a month ago, it's it's kind of scary. But my wife quit her job, so she could also work here and help me with more of the administration side, or I don't know if that's the right word, but somebody that can kind of do the bookkeeping and and you know what I mean, like just the I don't want to say office work, but because you know just, she's essentially my manager. I guess like she hates when I say that, but. So now we're both working here and then, you know, she's doing fundraisers. She's a social person. So sometimes, you know, we'll meet, you know, Rosie's like my, my little girls we will meet some of her friends, parents. And, and that initial conversation, I always hate because they'll ask you what you do. And then, you know, I got to tell them and try to explain it to them. And, and usually people's reactions are, are not very positive. Like, you know, so yeah, that, that part is kind of, it's kind of difficult um, and frustrating. How do you feel when people say "kill it with fire"? Oh, I just kind of laugh. At the, <laughs> at this, like it's not worth getting offended yeah. over, you know. Like getting offended—that's on me, you know. That's a reasonable. I just try to think of myself twenty-five years ago. That would be my response. That was my response. I, I would walk into a spider web and cry, and not cry, but I would freak out, you know, and start jumping up and down and batting like ah. You know, so I understand that fear and, and I know that it's just coming from a place of ignorance. You know, it's just because they don't know about them and, and, and that's that and then that's on me and that's on, on other tarantula keepers to teach people about them. No, I think that's a great attitude to have. I, I agree with you. I, I can't, I, I feel like you can't, you can't punish someone or guilt someone just for having a, a visceral reaction to something. It's just kind of part of who we are, but I will say, <clears throat> Excuse me. I will say what you mentioned about walking into a spider web. I'll tell you, man, growing up, like in my neighborhood, we had these massive like orb weaver spiders. I don't know the species, but these mm -hmm. sons of bitches, man, like they would make webs between, we had like a flagpole in our drive, like next to our driveway. And then there was the car and they would make these webs between the flagpole and the car. So when you'd get up to leave in the morning, you'd walk right through this web and it was like a horrible and I used yeah. to work at night as a teenager, so I'd come home, and by that point, the spider had really, like, set up shop. It had rebuilt its web from being destroyed at 6 o'clock in the morning, <laughs> and you'd walk through the thing and get it. Oh, man, it was just, yeah. it was so creepy. And, oh, I, yeah. and I was of that mentality at that time. I was like, man, uh, these things, I was like, it's open season. I'm done with these things. But now that <laughs> now I'm older, I, I kind of appreciate it through a different lens. But at yeah. the same time, I can't I can't blame someone for being afraid of something, which is, you know, kind of... Like, kind of in our DNA when you think about it. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I, I love hiking 
and that was like you know hiking and camping and all that and that was always the worst part were the spiders you know hiking through a trail not really looking up and looking at my feet or something and walking through a big spider web and freaking out and swearing for the next hour there's a spider in my shirt and, and and so i hated it now if i walk through an orb weaver's web i feel guilty i feel like now i just destroyed your stuff man you worked hard on that uh you know what i mean it's a completely like i feel bad now i destroyed their home you know unless it's like early in the morning i know okay you're already done with it you're gonna you know it's gonna get trashed anyways but yeah it, it's a weird kind of kind of thing and, and i think what you're you know that is i didn't go to school for biology i didn't go to school for science or anything like that i measured majored in sociology because that's what i was interested in was you know nature versus nurture uh you know how large how cultures and religion and stuff like that shape our worldview and and our prejudices and, and and our fears and stuff like that um you know which is kind of what was involved in me getting my tarantula uh you know trying to be like is am i actually scared of this spider for a rational reason or is it because i've grown up being taught tarantulas or, or spiders are scary and snakes are scary you know you know just maybe that was like something that we have been teaching you know are you know, passing down from generation to generation since we were you know cavemen and uh because you know a spider bite could kill you and there's no anti-venom or you know or snake bite so we we are we teach so i guess that was my my what i was curious about are, are we being taught to fear these animals from a prehistoric safety kind of reason or is it something that's encoded in our dna to be afraid of so uh i you know my the I got a four-year-old girl right now. Uh, you know, we, I was foster, we were foster parents for a few years before we adopted her. And, you know, so she was in the house and down below were a bunch of spiders. So at very young age, like before she could talk or walk, you know, I, I had her stuffed animals that were spiders just because my friends were selling stuffed animals and I was buying it to support them and then give it to her. And, you know, she had shirts with spiders on it. And then when she became able to talk, you know, I bring her down to the basement. We'd look at the spiders in the enclosures. And so she's grown up essentially from the, from the, her earliest memory, spiders were something that were beautiful and cool and not to be scared of, to be respected. You know, we don't touch them. We don't open their enclosures, but I taught her that, that how fascinating they I taught her to see them through my eyes in a sense. And it's funny now because she, she loves coming to the studio. She loves working with me and hanging out and she loves the spiders. She loves the geckos um you know all of the different animals in here she finds fascinating and then i have probably the least harm <laughs> like the most harmless animal possible a little axolotl is in the lobby uh and she is scared to death of the axolotl <laughs> which i find funny so it's like and that's anecdotal one person but just from that experience i'm thinking maybe we're actually being taught to be scared of spiders because she has no fear of spiders she'll go and pick up a, a grasshopper or you know when she's out playing in the, in, you know, she, she has no fear of those. Um, but because I didn't teach her about axolotls or she didn't have a lot of experience with those types of animals, she looks at it and it's just something extremely, even though it's adorable, I think it's cute for whatever reason in her eyes, it's terrifying. That's it's, what she's scared of here. It's of the, all the animals. It's the devil incarnate. <laughs> <laughs> She'll walk in the door and just freeze if it's out. Like, Oh, I don't want, I'm like, it can't get you. It's in an, it's in water in an aquarium. <laughs> Like it's not coming yeah. through the glass to bite you. I my, don't even think it has teeth. <laughs> my my youngest daughter is not a big fan of the snakes, but um, when she was real young, one of my this is like one of my fondest memories. 
she was in, I think it was kindergarten or first grade. And there was a spider in the class and everyone, like all the kids started screaming and going nuts. And, and I'm trying to visualize this. So she got up on her desk and she says, somebody get a catch cup. And oh, no. <laughs> uh, sadly, no one, no one had a catch cup, but the, <laughs> the teacher ended up squishing it, unfortunately. But I, I heard that story. I was like, that's, that's, I'm, yeah. I, I've succeeded as a parent. Um, yeah. I think it was uh, eighth grade. My kid wanted to do a, um, a science fair project on tarantulas. So we got a fossorial, a terrestrial, a semi-arboreal, and arboreal, all like juveniles, about the same age, about the same size. And he set them up in identical enclosures, which were kind of like, they weren't ideal for any of the species, really. Uh, um, but it was essentially his, his thesis was, he, he was trying to show why these tarantulas built this specific type of burrows, why they evolved to either be fossorial or arboreal. So he set them all out um, uh, you know, on, on you know, the, the exact same type of enclosures one to kind of show look it doesn't matter how you set them up these are the behaviors that are kind of instinctual and encoded into their dna and so he, he was able to kind of show that and then he did the research on the you know environment that they live in and with these tarantulas that are arboreal experience a lot of seasonal flooding and in different issues with the substrate and that's why most of this you know these species they they go up and and these species go down for this reason and it was it was really interesting uh and and i was worried because he was gonna have live tarantulas at school on the table while he was presenting the science fair project uh so that was one of those deals where i think we had to bring it in the night before and then the science fair was like during the like in the morning the next day and then like the parents could come in for like the awards or whatever you know at six o'clock at night or something like that but he so we dropped him off and then when he came back into school the next day before this the fair you know it was in a gym so like the bright lights were on there kids yelling people are moving around a lot of noise a lot of light so all the tarantulas kind of went to us like just hid and they kind of curled up into a stress ball you know i don't know i'm sure you've seen tarantulas do that where they just kind of suck in all the legs and oh yeah yeah he saw that and his fear was they're in death curls right so he starts freaking out he's crying uh, the teacher goes and they get the secretary. They're trying to call me, but I was like recording a video. So my phone was off. My wife was working at her job. So she wasn't, she was, she did presentations so or her phone was off. So the secretary actually started researching tarantulas, found my channel, some of my posts and some other stuff and realized like, it, it's just stressed out. It's not a death girl, you know? <laughs> so like they handled the situation and because of that, you know, hit because of him wanting to share, you know, the passion for tarantulas teachers and secretaries that were scared to death of spiders were not as scared of spiders as they were empathetic to this poor kid who was really upset. So they got rid of all of that fear and that prejudice, did the research, learned about spiders, you know, to kind of help, you know, calm him down and then kind of like lost their fear of spiders from just that little bit of information they got to know. They're like, Oh wow. <laughs> you know, and now they're interested in them and, and no longer terrified. So it's, uh, it's really interesting. That's great. That that's that's great public relations. You know, I. It, it's it's funny because you're right. It, it can. Our relationship with other living things is such a strange, complex entity of itself. You know, I I mean, I don't even. Heaven knows if if other animals even regard us at all, let alone the way that we perceive them to, but. It's nice to take a, a an experience that could be negative for one person and, and turn it into something that's positive for everybody. It's, it's definitely encouraging. Yeah. 
You know, while we're talking about tarantula behaviors, I actually want to ask you a question. Um, number one, uh, out of my six tarantulas, when one molts, almost all of them molt, like within yeah. like a month of it. Does that happen to you too? Oh, yeah, yeah. That's course. so strange. Yeah. Well, when... And again, this goes back to just the severe lack of research on tarantulas, but, but from decades of people keeping them in captivity, that and that's it's pretty consistent across the board. Most people like one tarantula molt, and if you got a large collection, you just know, oh, they're coming, you know. And I think a lot of that has to do with uh, just their natural rhythm and nature. You know, they're um, if, if you watch one of the, I think it was the Pamphibetus documentary I did, the the latest one, I discussed that in that video um, about how their life cycle kind of is dependent on their environment you know they kind of take cues from nature so like in the monsoon season uh when it's raining really hard you know uh they kind of go to higher ground but they know that once this raining you know the the monsoon stops everything's gonna be really wet and there's gonna be a lot of standing water i mean it's, they're not probably thinking about logically like i'm saying it but instinctually they know when this is done when it's done raining it's gonna be there's gonna be a bunch of insects you know, so a lot of times that's when, you know, they will, the egg sacs will kind of hatch right around that same time or in those conditions, you know, they, most of the times when you're breeding tarantulas in captivity, you got to raise the humidity or the temperature or sometimes lower it to kind of match what that cycle would be pre like that would precede uh, influx of uh, food, especially, you know, a seasonal kind of supply of insects. So by, by mimicking those conditions, you can get them to drop an egg sac and, and that kind of sets so that it would be hatching about the time, if that makes sense. So I, I, that I, I find fascinating. And when it comes to our tarantulas molting, it usually has something to do with the pressure. And this is just speculation. I don't think any research has been done, but just kind of from all of this anecdotal research and talking to other keepers and stuff like that, something to do with the pressure, the barometric pressure, the, the temperature and the humidity. Like usually it's around a season change or something like that. Um, you know, usually right around Christmas, I'll have a bunch of molt, you know, it kind of like when winter really sets in and then usually kind of in the spring when it starts, it kind of shifts to that from like the cold to the warm, I'll get some good molt. So it's, it's usually around a season change or like a, if there was a big weather event, you know, like if we just had some massive storms come through for like a week that can, that can kind of trigger some, uh, like a, a some molting, but it's not like all 200 tarantulas molt. It's just whoever was ready to molt. When those conditions kind of change, bam, it just kind of kicks it off. And then like a dozen of them will molt within like a week or within a few days. Yeah, it's 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 so bizarre. And yeah. another thing I noticed is um the last two molts of my my well, my Brachypelma homori I took forever between molts. I think this thing has molted maybe like three times in like six years. And my GBB. After they molted, and like right now, they're currently, I'd say, about maybe three and a half, four inch leg span. So they're not, you know, monstrous, but uh, I guess that like maybe like teenage years in tarantula, we'll say, they lay like they'll make a, you know, a, a web mat, they'll molt on it, and then they'll flip over and they'll actually lay like almost like lay down on it. Like they, you know, like the, the, the tips of their legs or the, the tarso, whatever they're called, usually they're kind of like, you know, perched up above the substrate. They'll yeah. actually lay down almost flat on oh, that mat. Yoga. Yeah. It's so, it's so strange. I didn't notice it until yeah. they got to, the, they got to this, this, um, size. 
Yeah. Well, I think they do it when they're little too. Just that process is much shorter. You know, like a spiderling can molt and eat within 24 hours, whereas an adult will molt and you got to wait two weeks, you know? So like it, it takes a lot longer for everything to kind of harden up and settle. So, you know, they, they do probably do that as slings, but they're either in a burrow or it, it is a process that is over in an hour. But yeah, that's, they, they're, they're stretching out because they've been just crammed in that, that exoskeleton that was so small and they're growing on the inside. And, it, and again, severe lack of, of scientific research, but what I've gathered from some of the podcasts I've done with some people that are a lot more academically inclined in this area, is, is they're, they're, what they say is that a lot of the hemoglyph, like the tarantula, you know, it, it grows its new exoskeleton under the old one, like, like any invertebrate, but there's like all of the, the hemoglyph is like stored in their abdomen because that's like the, the stretchiest part, you know, of their exoskeleton. So when they molt, they'll stretch out like that so that that hemoglyph can kind of move from their abdomen throughout all their legs and, and really help them stretch out because their exoskeleton is super soft at that point. So they try and, you know, stretch it out as much as they can before it starts hardening, which is why they kind of do the tarantula yoga where they, they just, I mean, they look like they're flat on the ground and they're stretching as far as they can. It's, it's really cool to watch. And the bigger they get, the longer that process takes. Yeah. They look like, um, like, you know, like when like Superman flies, he's just like, yeah, that's, it's, it's such a weird thing. I, that's, that's interesting though, about the hemolith. I mean, it makes sense when you think about it because they don't have, uh, that's the same, like, like in, in human beings, our heart circulates our blood, but our, our mm -hmm. lymphatic system basically functions on, on movement. That's yeah. how our, you know, our lymph, you know, in, in innards, you know, travel back and forth. But yeah, it makes, it makes sense. So it's one of the many reasons they're fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, this is a Halloween episode and I, I do have to ask you some Halloween questions and this is the first question pops out of my head two words haunted prison oh, yeah. you went to an expo at a haunted prison right well tell many. us tell us about that many all right let's oh yeah spill the tea let's tell me about that all right well in in west virginia there is this notorious prison called the uh well it was called the west virginia state penitentiary uh, it was in moundsville west virginia and so there's a big huge uh, I think it may be the largest mound in West Virginia, but don't quote me on that one. But it's a big, you know, Indian burial mound, which already is kind of haunted and creepy, right? Uh, and so then they decided to build this prison, like in some mid-1800s. So it's a, you know, big stone, gothic-looking prison, you know, with big walls and, and you know, big, almost like the towers, on the corners almost like castles. I mean, it's, it's beautiful. Uh, but it got shut down in the mid-90s uh, or late-90s somewhere around there uh, because it was considered cruel and unu unusual punishment. It was inhumane conditions. They were tiny little cells that were meant for one person that they were having, like, they had like four people in. There were people getting murdered there all the time and, and just all kinds of horrible, nasty stuff. It was just, they would just send the worst people there. Uh, Charles Manson's mother was in that prison because he grew up, like he was born just, uh, just down the road in McMechan, West Virginia before heading out to California and becoming a mass murderer. So like he was trying to get, when he was in prison uh, after, you know, the, the Tate murders and all that, he was trying to get transferred into Moundsville and they, the, the, you know, so it's, it's, it's a, it's a dark prison. It got shut down and now it's kind of like a historical landmark and they have ghost tours in there. Like, you know, pretty much any ghost hunter show you've seen, you know, on discovery or travel or any of those channels. They've definitely gone to that prison and, and spent the night and they do tours and all this kind of cool stuff. 
Uh, but on the inside, within the walls, there was another building that was built, and it was initially made for uh, the prisoners to make license plates. So it was like a manufacturing facility. But after that, you know, they, they shut down the prison and moved all the prisoners to a new fancy prison. They turned that uh, manufacturing kind of building into a, a conference hall of sorts. So to try and help generate revenue to keep the prison open for tourists. So, you know, like any business or uh, like, like my wife was working for the YWCA, they would have conferences there, stuff like that. It was, you know, it, it was a nice little place to, you know, have your, your show or your conference or whatever. And uh, this guy was doing the tri-state animal, tri-state animal, wait, tri-state exotic animal expos. It's a mouthful. And he was able to rent out the, the, the Moundsville prison for the show. So it was like you pull up and it's this big, scary, gothic prison. And you got to go through the wagon entrance, which has like the trap door where they would hang people. You know, So it's like, it's really creepy. You walk through that, you get to the building and then inside it's just tarantula dealers, you know, all kinds of snakes and axolotls and stuff like that. And then he combined it with an oddity show. So to just kind of make it even bigger and more of, of an attraction. And because a lot of those people that are into exotic animals are also into oddities and vice versa. So on top of all the animals, you also have a lot of wet specimens, a lot of skulls and skeletons and uh, just like creepy art and, and all that kind of cool stuff. And then he started bringing in some tattoo artists. So like it just, it just turned into like this carnival of exotic animals and oddities and tattoos. And like, you know, I, some guy brought some wolves once that you get your pictures taken with. And it's just, it was just a lot of fun. And it was cool because some of the local dealers would come to vend the show because I'm here in town. I could, uh, you know, they could come and hang out at the studio or I could just go to the show and, and, you know, hang out with them all day and meet people. And yeah, it's a, it's a blast. And, you know, while you're at the show, you can also buy a ticket and go uh, to the haunted prison, but there's no show. I've been to shows all across the country. There's no show quite like that one. That's that's wild. I mean, that sounds like you've got something for everybody there. Yeah, it's 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 a lot of fun. I really enjoy it. We got one coming up in December, I believe. I'm, so I'm really looking forward to that. And it's also, you know, uh, it it's not a show that I like. I meet a ton of fans at. You know what I mean? It's not uh, like I usually, at least the last few, I've had like my own little booth so I can sign autographs and sell prints of like some macro photography I've taken and stuff like that. But it's more about just the hang, you know, just like hanging out with other dealers and, and stuff like that. And, you know, bringing people back to the studio afterwards. Cause I'm not, a, I'm not a night owl anymore. I used to be in my younger days, but now it's like 11 midnight in bed sleeping. Um, but when these, when these guys are in town for the show, sometimes we're here at the studio till two or three o'clock in the morning, just talking <laughs> and, 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 you know, breeding spiders and stuff. Yeah, there's two types of people. There's the people that get up at six o'clock in the morning and people who go to bed at six o'clock in the morning. Yeah. yeah. Do you have a lot of haunted places where you are in West Virginia? I mean, you'd think. Well, it is the Appalachians. Um, so, you know, there's, it's filled with folklore and, and all kinds of, of crazy stories and tragedies. Like, I mean, this, this town has been, I'm not going to get the politics of it because you know, very proud Appalachian people and just been crapped on by society for a hundred years. Uh, so like in the town that I live in right now, uh, like with the walking path that I, you know, I take the dog on or, you know, we go running on or what we're not running. That's a lie. I think I ran twice on it. <laughs> you see, we just walk slowly. Uh, but it goes through this tunnel. That's the haunted tunnel. Uh, because like these, the, the guys that made it, there was like you know, 40 guys died while making this. And, and it was I had this very, 
sacred Indian place that they said cursed. So that's haunted. We've got haunted. Yeah, there's a lot of haunted stuff. <laughs> there's like a, uh, they built a freaking fair, like a, a car, like carnival rides, like an amusement park, a couple, like about two hours south of me on an Indian burial ground. And, and went out of business because people kept dying on the rides, but they didn't take the rides down. So it's just like you go there and it's just, you know, old rides from like the 40s that are just rusted and just sitting there overgrown. It's, it's so creepy. You know, we've got uh, old asylums uh, that are just sitting empty and are said, you know, and they do haunted tours. So it's, it's like part of the tourism, I think, for West Virginia. It's just all the haunted stuff. Yeah, we've got a lot of places that are haunted here where I am. We've got, well, the Amityville Horror House is about maybe like 10 miles from me. Yeah. We've got an abandoned psychiatric center. We've got um, a place a couple of towns over. It's called the Hell House. Um, oh, yeah, it, it's this was, it was, the, the story behind it's actually kind of interesting because it's really just a regular house, but the family that owned it in the 70s converted it so that it looked like, uh, kind of like a castle and then over like successive generations it looked more and more like 1313 mockingbird lane so kids would drive past this this house at night and the the legend was the number of cur- the number of uh candles in the window would reflect the number of people in the car so if you drove past the, and you had three people in the car there'd be three candles in the window it was it was kind of creepy but yeah um i mean it's actually they're just regular people but yeah. <laughs> it's it's an it was an interesting um uh interesting location sure and um we've got uh some of the earliest uh witch trials took place out east of me and there's there's active witches covens here and yeah. um we've got our fair share of uh paranormal there's actually there's a a road i, I mean i, I don't want to draw unnecessary attention to where i live but um there's a road um couple of miles up from me that's that's haunted and um people will say they see a lady in white in the woods up there at night and in mm-hmm. college one of my friends who's actually since passed away uh he he got really drunk and he fell asleep there and we were we were like how did you how did you survive you know i, I no one sleeps there but i don't know he yeah. he, he spent the night there and it was it was pretty crazy <laughs> so yeah, yeah haunted yeah, stuff better. Yeah, we also got cryptids, you know, so we've got, uh, of course, a Bigfoot that runs around through our woods, supposedly. We got the Mothman, which is, they made a whole movie on that, the Mothman Prophecies with Richard Greer, I believe. Yeah. The movie, and there's a few others, lesser known, but, you know, you go out hiking and there's always stories of the monster in the woods, no matter which woods you're in. <laughs> have you ever heard, have you ever heard the, about the, uh, the dog man? I have, yeah, just Ooh. recently. Yeah, that's, that's, that's some creepy stuff. Yeah. There's this channel on YouTube I watch a lot called The Y Files. The guy is great. And he covers, you know, the UFO sightings and conspiracy theories and cryptids and stuff like that. And, and just you know, tells the story in a very interesting and intriguing way. And then at the end, kind of goes through and debunks a lot of the stuff and then tells you what he can't debunk. It's, it's a really good show. Uh, so yeah, check it out sometime if you ever have a chance. Yeah, I, I love stuff like that. I, anything that's like paranormal and cryptids, it's always fascinated me. I, it's weird because yeah. it's almost like, this obsession I have with nature, I'm always curious about things that may or may not exist. I've always been fascinated with e- extinct animals and endangered species, mm-hmm. like like the thylacine, for example, in Australia. It fascinates me. 
and people say they've seen them. People say they, they they're they're extinct. They're not extinct. It's a cover. Whatever. The whole phenomenon interests me. Like whether yeah. it's real or not, I'm curious as to why people are seeing things or why they're interested in them. Right. It's just yeah. it's it's amazing. That kind of plugs into the sociology. Like, is this a mass uh, hallucination? Is it cultural? Is it you know environmental? Like, what's going on? And and that's what's so cool about tarantulas, man, is that they're still discovering species. You know, like I mean, within the year, they may discover another new species we didn't even know existed that's been here for three hundred million years. We just never saw it. So if that's still happening, you know, what else is out there we don't know about? You know, it's just a fun thing to think about. Oh yeah, it's I I love stuff like that. Whenever something new is found. Yeah, especially when it's something like really like out there. It's like, how did no one? I mean, like a tiny little brown spider that lives twenty feet underground in a hole. I kind of yeah. expect people not to see, but when it's a spider that's bright green, that's 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 really impressive. Mm-hmm. That was what was the name of that species? It oh, it was named the 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 second part of the scientific name was after the scientist. It was like Cyroxigorum. You know oh, what I'm talking the, about? Yeah, the, yeah, the uh, neon, blue, the Borneo blue, I believe, is was a common. Yeah, name. yeah, that, that's the rupees. Yeah, that's right. Rupees. Yeah, it, it's, yeah. It's, it's 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 incredible. Yeah, I mean the same with like T. Celadonia. They didn't know until a couple of years ago, and then you know it's beautiful, bright purples and and pinks and greens and blues. I mean, it's a gorgeous spider, and we just didn't know it existed. And they hide under little like flakes of like lichen and bark yeah. it's like the most beautiful spider you'll never they're you'll like never an see arboreal, an, they're an arboreal trapdoor spider i mean that's fascinating all i mean every other trapdoor is fissorial you know they come out of the ground with their trapdoor but they make theirs into the bark it's it's really cool yeah it's 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 amazing and um, i mean all the i know that um the um what, what are they called um jumping spiders have become really popular mm-hmm. too and the, some yeah. of the, the colors and some of the species and the behaviors too, it's like, it's, it's incredible just how beautiful and stunning some of these things are. I mean, they, they look like birds and they, the males will display for the females. It's, it's wild. Yeah. I mean, you, we, we talk, start talking about jumping spiders, man. Like that's a, that's a whole nother podcast. Those things are so fascinating. Not even talking about the Australian like parachute, uh, you know, or peacock spiders. The, I mean, just, just the regular jumping spider you'll find in your backyard is all it just it, they're they dream like scientists i don't know if you saw that study they they were able to when the tranche when the jumping spider was sleeping its eyes were still moving which kind of make well why would their eyes be moving unless they were like dreaming and have you know in an rem and if they're able to do that then they must have some cognitive abilities and imagination and then just their ability to almost instantly do the math you know what i mean to like figure out how fast at what you know like at what velocity and at what angles do i need to jump to pounce on this moving object you know and and just i mean and so all of that is really fascinating just that they're very intelligent and they're able to kind of almost reason but also their eyesight some guy did a uh released a study of their eyesight and you know we have like three cones to see different colors but I believe what he was saying, they're able to perceive four colors and the way they're, I mean, their eyes are, are built completely different than humans, but also different than almost every other spider out there. And he, he was, what he was saying is that when we go outside and we look at a full moon, all of the detail and everything that we see in that moon, that little jumping spider is seeing the moon in just as much detail as we are, maybe even a little bit more, you know, it's like, how can a spider that small 
be aware of the moon like that blows my mind yeah well i mean like i said we're, we're still we're all made out of the same raw materials and some of them yeah. some of us get more and some of us get less and whatever jumping spiders got they definitely got more they definitely got more of they didn't they didn't get longevity unfortunately but yeah. um i mean compared to some of the other species that can live like 40 50 60 if not longer it's it's a shame because I, I hear about people getting them and they only last well like a year year and a half two years depending on the species yeah yeah and how old they are when you got them but yeah most of the time you're going to get yeah, you know, if you get an adult, you may have you may get a year out of them. You know, if you get a spiderling, you know, a little baby, then you'll get a little bit longer. But yeah, I think two two and a half years is about the the max life. Well, my voice is starting to give out, <laughs> but um, gotcha. I got I got one last question for you, Halloween question. Sure. Uh, top five Halloween specials of all time. When you say Halloween specials, what do you what do you mean? Um, you know, any, like, you know, like when we were younger, like, um, like around Halloween time, there'd be like a Halloween special, yeah, like Great Pumpkin or like Garfield oh, or, I mean, even like Nightmare Before Christmas, like anything like that. Like, ha, let's just sure. say like top, top, top five Halloween movies that, that would, I mean, when we were young used to be, you have to wait like until Halloween for the stuff to come out. Now it's on like, you sure. can pick it up on Netflix or YouTube all year. But, uh, what, what are you, what are your top five? Man, that's that's a tough question. Like, I, I don't mean to be stereotypical. Like, I, I I feel like I spend eleven months of the year trying not to be a stereotypical tarantula guy, and then October comes around, <laughs> and I just become that dude because I love Halloween, man. That's like it, I love you know, it's, I like it more than Christmas, and I go full Clark Griswold for Halloween. Like, I I took an entire day off uh, yesterday. I did nothing but decorate the house for Halloween, and I only got halfway done. So I got off, I worked today until I had to pick up Rosie from daycare or from preschool or whatever and went home and was decorating right up until I started recording with you and, and I'm, I got more to do. You know, So, I mean, I turned the entire porch into a spider's burrow. You know, there's webbing all over the place and I got big fake spiders and then the front yard's like a graveyard that kind of feeds into the spider's burrow. So it's like, I try, I try to make it as dramatic and as uh you know not scary but just visually cool looking as possible and it's kind of become this competition in our neighborhood uh, who has the the coolest halloween decorations for the trick-or-treaters because we get a ton of trick-or-treaters in my neighborhood um and so far i've been the reigning champ so i i gotta i gotta level it up every year but the funniest part was we'd have trick-or-treaters come up and parents it would move more than anything you know because i've got all these like big fake hairy spiders and skeletons climbing up the house and across the roof and all that kind of stuff and and they the, the most common thing people say is like i'm scared to death of tarantulas right and up until this year in my mind like my wife and i are laughing because they're like they're, they're telling us how scared they are of these fake spiders and little do they know right underneath their feet there are hundreds of living tarantulas <laughs> i was like man if they only knew <laughs> they'd never come back so yeah i i I work really hard on, on, I just, I love it. And, and, uh, I love filming, you know, making videos about tarantulas with a Halloween theme this time of year. Uh, you know, so I, I even made like a, a short little 10 minute scary story about a tarantula keeper, uh, last year, which did not perform well on YouTube at that, all, but that was great. That was the one where you, you wrapped up in, in silk at the end, right? Yeah. <laughs> that was great. That didn't do well. No, I, well, that one I think was uh, one of my like top ten Halloween oh, okay, videos. Okay. This other one was just like a story of the the tarantula keeper that started buying, started with one tarantula, and then within a few years I had hundred. It was kind of like my story, but then 
it, it turns into the horror because then the, the tarantulas he can never leave because he has to spend all of his time taking care of them and he becomes the pet and, that, and they're the keepers and then he dies i do remember <laughs> i do remember that one yeah i do remember that one you put like a like a corpse thing like with your hat on yeah yeah, yeah. that was pretty cool <laughs> i was really proud of it but it did not it did not do well in the algorithm. YouTube was like, I don't know what to do with this. This isn't educational. This isn't funny. Not like, everybody respects uh, arti- artistic license. <laughs> yeah, I took a risk. It, you know, I enjoyed it. That's all that matters. That, was, that one was for me. Uh, so, yeah, I, I love it. But I'm also really picky when it comes to the horror movies, you know, the Halloween movies, because I some of them just are so cheesy and, and, and dorky. But I will tell you, this time of year, my top five movies to watch. Uh, of course, uh, what the Charlie Brown, uh, Great Pumpkin, whatever that one is, I can't even remember the name of it. That's like, I don't even know if I, I don't even enjoy that movie to be honest with you. Um, but my wife really likes it, so it's become like a tradition in our house to watch that one. So now, if I don't watch it, it doesn't feel like Halloween, you know. So, so we do that one. Uh, you know, that's 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 always a winner, and uh, probably my. And this is cheesy, but like my, the Evil Dead movies are my favorites. Like I. I I don't know. They just clicked it with me the first time I watched them as a teenager, and you know, so Bruce Campbell and Sam Raimi, as cheesy as those are, I love Evil Dead, Evil Dead Two. We'll just say Evil Dead Two. That's probably the better of them. Um, so yeah, that that would be the second one I would say. <laughs> and I think it's because I was I was raised Southern Baptist in a very religious household, so we weren't really allowed to celebrate Halloween. Um, like I remember one year. To go trick or treating, the only things I was allowed to dress up as were Bible characters. So I was, I went trick or treating as Moses, <laughs> and nobody knew that I was Moses. <laughs> did like, you? Are, are did you, you have the beard? Ones? Did you have the beard back then? Oh no! <laughs> <laughs> I think I had like a little fake beard that my mom made or something <laughs> out of a towel. I mean, who knows? We were we were poor, uh, so yeah. And I think that's part of the reason why I go so crazy on Halloween because we couldn't put up any Halloween decorations, like not even up. I think in my, when I was in high school, we could do a pumpkin, like make a jack-o'-lantern or something like that. But that was it. So now it's like uh, working out some deep-seated childhood issues uh, in my front yard <laughs> every Halloween. But yeah, so so those those two uh, are definitely good ones. Oh man, that's such a such a rough question. I mean, I arachnophobia. People would probably say that's a good one uh, that, that I someone like me should suggest, but. I actually really hate that movie <laughs> because it's, I feel like that is the source of a lot of, that was such a big hit and it had so much misinformation and just ridiculous sensationalization that I think a lot of people's fears kind of stem from movies like that, especially that one. Um, so that one wouldn't be on the list, but just to be a hypocrite and ironic at the same time, Kingdom of the Spiders, I would add. Have you seen that one? No, I haven't. That's, um, uh, oh, uh, what the heck is his name? William Shatner. It's oh like one God! Of the movies he did, <laughs> uh, and it's it's like and it's so funny. Like I think that's why I like. It's supposed to be a scary movie, and it probably was scary in the seventies. But it's just so comical. Uh, I I really enjoy watching that one every Halloween because they're like curly hair tarantulas and and Mexican red knee tarant like the, the calmest tarantulas out there, Choco Golden knees, and they're like attacking these people. They're falling out of the ceilings and they're like <laughs> coming in. And like hordes, like just herds of tarantulas attacking and running over a town. It's like, this is so ridiculous. It's it's funny. I can't believe people were scared of this when it came out. Uh, so, yeah. And then I, oh, man. So that's three. I feel like that's that's pretty, 
I got to get a good one in there somewhere. Um, you know, while while you're thinking, it's not a tarantula, but um, I think it was one of the James Bond movies. There was a scene where, like, I think it was like James Bond, and he was like laying in bed with you know some like gorgeous like Swedish model or something like that. Mm-hmm. And whoever was out to get him, they had these little boxes, almost like coffin shaped boxes, on like a chain, and they lowered it down to his bed, and then they like they pulled the chain, and like these emperor scorpions came out. <laughs> and I, I think that like it was like three or four of them, and they were like crawling out. I don't remember if it was James Bond or something similar. And I remember seeing that I was like, I was like, can't you just like shoot the guy through the window? Like, why this overly yeah. complicated? What the hell is going on here? I mean, it scared the crap out of me when I was a kid. But you know, I was scared someone's yeah. gonna come in my room and like lower a box of scorpions on me. But ooh, that was that was weird. But I'm um, I'm sorry. Uh, what was what was your thoughts for the next one? Oh, <laughs> I was thinking about James Bond. Completely forgot to think about it. I just got interviewed by this uh, local magazine, and the reporter was—I don't want to say he was old, but like he was probably older than my dad. You know what I mean? Like, or my dad's age, maybe. And that was like his whole pop culture reference to tarantulas was a James Bond movie where there was a a curly haired tarantula or something, maybe a fawn upon the samani or something crawling on the on the on the bed next to him. And I was just like, that's, that's going, that's reaching back there, man. <laughs> All of them I've seen in movies. I don't, I don't think I've seen that one in 30 years. Uh, but yeah. Um, so, uh, I said the evil dead movies. I really like that. This, this is a terrible movie. I don't suggest people. Watch. I mean, it's not terrible. It's a, a very graphic movie that I, I wouldn't even let my kids watch until they're like 18 probably. But the original, I spit on your grave. Um, that was a scary, did you see that one? It sounds familiar. Was that the one where the, a, a woman had something really bad happen to her and then she took revenge? Yeah. All right. Yeah. I don't want to get into graphic detail, but yeah, I, I, yeah. I haven't seen it, but I know what you're talking about. I've heard that's, that's pretty, um, yeah. The remake was okay. Yeah. You know, it, it was good, but it did not scar me deep inside. Maybe that's what I like it. I like a, a, a scary movie that it causes long lasting internal trauma. <laughs> like that's what I'm like. That's a good one. Not something that had a jump scare in it. Uh, you know, that, that one was dark. I, I, that's something that's like stuck in my head that I try to watch, uh, when I can. And then I think for number five, I'm, I'm going to go dust to dawn, Quentin Tarantino and, uh, uh, George Clooney and Selma Hayek. And you familiar with that one? Oh yeah. 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 That's just a sexy movie. That That came out around like, like 97, maybe 96. Yeah. I was in high school. So yeah, that sounds right. Yeah, that was a, that was a winner. I haven't seen that in a long time. I like I like the kind of like campy stuff. Yeah. So like um like Rocky Horror Picture Show, Elvira, um See, I never thought of that. For, that was never a Halloween movie. Dude. Really? It was just like it was just a movie we watched all year round. Well, I mean, we did that. Hung out with a lot of drama kids <clears throat> in high school, so it's we, we we I mean, we did that too, but like I you know, I look around my house, my house is constantly decorated for Halloween regardless of what time of year it is. Yeah. So it's it's kind of like it just kind of all blends together. But I feel like mm-hmm. like every Halloween we have to like there's a few movies we watch. Um, obviously, like the Great Pumpkin, you, you have to you kind of like contractually obligated to watch it. It just yeah. kind of happens. But um, we usually watch Elvira and we watch um, The Worst Witch with Feruza mm-hmm. Balk from like '85, which yeah. is like it. It's one of those movies that kind of just got like banished to the 
deepest, darkest, you know, pockets of everyone's imagination. But yeah, that's kind of like part of our Halloween rituals. We usually watch those three movies. Yeah, Kate likes watch, watching. Uh, my wife likes watching Hocus Pocus, but I can't stand that movie for some reason. I'm just like, like please. And then they came out with another one. I'm like, I'm gonna go somewhere else while you watch this. Yeah, it's it's an uh, acquired taste, and they air it like every day during the yeah. month of October to the point where it becomes like it, it's like the. I don't know what they air out if it's the same by you guys, but they air a Christmas story, the movie, like for like 24 hours straight from like right. Christmas Eve until like New Year's Day. It's it's yeah. it's a nightmare. So like, <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> no matter where you like, you can you can watch like a minute of you can watch like three minutes of the movie at a time. At, at like every hour during the day and still see the whole movie it's 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 yeah. amazing yeah there's a um this really old disney cartoon from probably the 40s or 50s i think it's called trick or treat and it's you know i didn't include that in the movies because it's only like seven ten minutes long something like that but it's donald duck and his you know his nephews and he, he won't give them a trick or treat so they find this witch and she plays tricks on him and and it's just got that song like, trick or treat trick or treat you ever I don't know if you've ever seen that. No, I I, I, one, but I enjoy that. While I was sick and had nothing better to do, I was watching like weird stuff on YouTube and I actually saw, I didn't watch it, but I saw that thumbnail Yeah. and I, I watched uh, or I forced myself to watch some of the most awful Halloween specials from like the seventies and eighties. Like I watched, <laughs> I, I swear to God, I watched the Grinch stole Halloween which Yo, was I've never it, seen that. Yeah, don't don't waste your time on it. It it, it, was, it was awful. <laughs> it was just it was just flat out awful. Like the scariest thing about that movie was that I actually spent 10 minutes of my life watching it. Oh, I watched that and what did I watch? I watched The Pumpkin That Couldn't Smile. And <laughs> I heard of that either. And then I watched yeah, there's a good reason for that. And then I watched um the Paul Lind Halloween special from like 1977. Mm. Which was actually like, uh, I mean, I, I remember Paul Lynn from Hollywood Squares. He was Uncle yeah. Arthur on Bewitched. I, I, I love Paul Lynn. I always thought he was like hysterical. And like he had this Halloween special, which was like, it was, I mean, it was, it was awful, but it was great because it was Paul Lynn. I mean, like I, <laughs> I was, it was so bad that like afterwards, I, and a Kiss was on it. Kiss performed. And I watched a short documentary about this special with like Bruce Valanche and he was saying the documentary. Yeah. He was going on, he was going on about like, it was like Paul Lind had this really big contract with, I guess it was ABC through Hollywood squares or whatever. So they were, they were obligated to fulfill certain things to him. And like, they tried giving him his own show and it didn't work. And they tried it again. It didn't work. So like, what are we going to do? Like, we'll give him this, big ridiculous flamboyant halloween special and it was like it, it was it's 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 gold like i don't expect any like no one under 40 yeah or let me rephrase that no one under like 45 is going to watch that and appreciate <laughs> it for the immense treasure that it is but yeah, yeah I, I i really like put myself through some serious punishment watching some <laughs> like serious like degrade halloween stuff the past week and um I, i'm a better person for it there you go. I'll tell you what, if me and my wife ever get a divorce, it will be because of an argument that stems from the nightmare before Christmas. Because in my mind, that's a Christmas movie. In her mind, it's a Halloween movie. And so this time of year, it always becomes a fight. She'll want to watch it. I'm like, no, that's for Christmas. Like, no. I think Tim Burton's a marketing genius for being able to write and, and put out a movie that hits both Halloween and Christmas. So it's just, 
you start watching it October 1st and you don't stop watching it until January 1st. <laughs> yeah, no, you're right. It's, 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 it's a marketing, it's marketing genius. Yeah. <laughs> you've got, yeah, you've got the market from, from what, October 1st through January 2nd. Yeah. You just have that, that merch out in the store the entire time people are snatching it up. Man. Oh man. Yeah. He, he's, any, that any guy's a movie with a, a spider, you know, if that's the antagonist, like if, if that's the bad guy is a spider, it, I, I can't, I can't get scared because I just, I always know how ridiculous it is. You know, it's like, yeah, I mean, maybe if it was like a big alien spider, that would be one thing. You know, like uh, Starship Troopers, like some of the, some of the bugs in that one. It's like, all right, those are scary. But you know, if you're gonna have a tarantula on the screen and then try to convince me through this guy's acting that it's gonna kill him, like I I, I know too much for that to to, to scare me. So I, I kind of turn off those those types of movies. Yeah, I, I it's funny because I never really associated spider movies with Halloween per se, but like arachnophobia. With the, the irony is. People really had to do a tremendous amount of work choosing the right species and, and wrangling the spiders. Like I watched some like short about it in, in the eighties when I was in middle school. Yeah. And a lot of work went into making that movie, depending you know, which oh, yeah. the the, the 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 species that they chose for the the soldiers, which were I think they were some kind of like heteropoda. Mm. Or or maybe or maybe I'm wrong. I'm, I'm sure someone out there knows more than I do about it, but and then they talked about at the end of the day, they did a cup count to make sure that they had a, a spider in each of the many, many cups that they had. And like they had fake shoes yeah. so that when John Goodman stepped on it, it didn't actually crush it. And yeah. they would get them to stop by, you know, blowing on them or whatever. It was, it was amazing. And then you realize that like these people who probably put their whole lives into working with these spiders made a movie that was probably the most <laughs> detrimental thing possible. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's that, that does suck for them. But I mean, at least they they showed them the respect and, and some humanity, you know. <laughs> yeah, like taking, yeah, taking good care of them as the best they could. I mean, I know just from working with the spiders I work with, like they they don't take stage direction at all. You know, you want them to go left, they're going to go right inevitably. <laughs> it's like you, you want them to move, they're going to freeze. You need them to freeze so you can set focus. They're going to be moving. Like they 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 do the opposite of what the camera wants them to do, uh, and and that that is frustrating. So I feel for them. But it's I mean. Like I said, the Kingdom of the Spiders, I for whatever reason, I, I think it's just because I'm a Star Trek fan and William Shiner's in it, so I'm like, oh, I gotta like this. But I mean, to the point, not only have I watched the movies a lot, but I've watched it with a commentary and I've watched all the little extras and all that kind of stuff. And they did not like to them, they were just bugs that were just you know disposable. So they would they were literally putting thirty or forty tarantulas into like a big burlap sack and dumping it. You know, just like going above camera, you know, and dumping it on the actors. So you see these tarantulas falling on these people and hitting the ground. Like those are real tarantulas that were alive. That probably not, you know, and they're stepping on them. They're kicking them. They're, you know, they were just massacring tarantulas. So like you, you hear that and you're like, that is horrible. But then you realize they were all new world tarantulas. A lot of them were Brocky Pelmas and they have some very irritating, urticating hairs. They were kicking off all over the place and, and just, I mean, the cameramen, you know, the grips, the light guys, like the actors, the directors, everybody was like, this was, we were in the desert. It was a hundred degrees. We're sweating our ass off and we're covered in irritating hair, which is just like itching powder, like all over our faces, our, you know, our, our backs. And we were just miserable the for, for months filming this because of the hurricane hair. So I'm like, yeah, that's called karma. <laughs> it's nightmares. Step on reels or Angela's, you're going to have to deal with some of their irritating hairs. <laughs> it's, it's funny. You think about the way certain things, 
you know, flu. Like, you, you watch movies from, um, I guess you could say, like, monster movies maybe starting around, like, the 40s and 50s into the 60s and 70s. And, it, like, you're watching this movie, and it's like, is that really a, a live hippo that they're firing out of a cannon? And it's like, oh, it, yeah, it is. And then <laughs> you think to yourself, like, what the hell were these people thinking back then? But, yeah, you know, again, it's just people don't, <laughs> I, 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 I don't believe in like retroactively punishing people for things that they just didn't, they didn't know. You know what I mean? They didn't, yeah. people didn't know, they didn't understand. It wasn't, it wasn't of any cultural significance at the time. I mean, things are different now. We but, can't judge um, people yeah. 40, 50 years ago based on our morals and, and ethics today. Yeah, that, I that agree. Doesn't work, you I know? agree. And, and no matter what top, you know what I mean? Like it's, yeah. I mean, there's a lot of those Quentin Tarantino movies that there's no way he can make those today. You yeah. Know? Like, yeah. <laughs> it's like, like Pulp Fiction and stuff like, like that. It's so violent and, and so disturbing. Uh, but at the time he was hailed as a genius. You know? Yeah. yeah. You, you get canceled now. I know. I know. But you can't go back and cancel him for a movie he made in the nineties. Like that's just ridiculous. But yeah, people are, you know, with, with all the bad stuff that's happening in the world, you know, there's some, I mean, outside of the U.S., I mean, inside the U.S. too, but outside of the U.S. especially, there's some really, really bad things happening. And I think about, yeah. you know, the stuff that people get upset about that's just complete nonsense. You know, at the end of the day, just doesn't matter versus what some people in the world are having to go through right now. I just, I, I don't, you know, people have to learn to like lighten up. And yep. understand that, you know, there are things much more important than, you know, you getting irate because someone got your coffee order wrong or because somebody, <laughs> you know, criticized your tarantula husbandry or your frog husbandry. Yeah. I don't know. I think we just, we have a lot, we got a lot of work to do. Yeah, I think it's a pendulum. Like, yeah. you know, it, you were getting really offended and, and, and that's like, I, I, I think it was some stand up comedian I heard and probably was a very offensive stand up comedian to many people. But because I, I, I'm guessing just based off my taste, it was probably Chappelle or Louis C.K. or somebody that said it. But it's something I kind of what I mentioned earlier. It's like, if you get offended, like that's on you. Like that is, that is all you. Like you can leave. You don't have to be here. Like, nobody can say something offensive you can just take something offensive if that makes sense um and i was kind of like yeah that 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 resonated with me you know and it's like i uh it, especially when you're making content you know about tarantulas because some people just the way the youtube algorithm works like they have they're, they're watching frog videos or you know they're watching videos on snakes and youtube's like oh you you like animals maybe you like this guy's channel and if it's like i got an interesting title and thumbnail they may click on it and, you know, a lot of times that conversion rate's pretty good. People are like, I had no interest in spiders. And then I watched your video and, and you're calm and, and reasonable and interesting. And the, the videos look cool. So I kept watching and, and now I've watched 100 videos and I own two tarantulas. So, like, that is, that's what I, why I do what I do. Kind of just like making car commercials to entice people to get into the tarantula hobby. Uh, but there's also the people that, you know, they they just have a visceral reaction. They clicked on it. And then all they want to do is leave me a paragraph about how horrible tarantulas are and how deadly they are and what an idiot I am. And, and I used to get really upset when I would read those and like argue with them. Uh, but now I'm like, man, there's, they're offended. And I had, I didn't, I didn't go out to offend them. 
Like they just got offended because I keep spiders. So that's on them. And I'm just not going to pay attention to that comment. And we'll just, we'll just move on with my day. There's, it brings a lot of happiness when you kind of, yeah, <laughs> things like that. That's all you can do. Things in the world, man. <laughs> yeah. I, 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 I don't, I don't like to get caught up in, in nonsense. You know, like there's just some people out there, like they, they, they get up in the morning and they look at themselves in the mirror and they hate the person that they see, but they yeah. can't accept that. So they take it out on everybody else. Yeah. And That's I just, I don't, I don't, I don't have any use for that stuff. There's something that in their life that they're unhappy about and they can't do anything to change it or they don't think that they can do anything to change it or they're not willing to. So they just, they redirect that frustration and resentment onto other people. And I mean, I dealt with, it was every, usually around this year, I always end up putting out a video that becomes controversial in the hobby. And it's usually because like my love for Halloween and my love for spiders kind of get married, you know, cause I, I like skulls and, and I think that goes back to the evil dead. Like that was those dancing skeletons. I just, as cheesy as they looked, I just fell in love with that. Like I just love that vibe and I've got them all over my house now. And <laughs> it's just, that's what I dig. But if for whatever reason, you know, I think like because culturally spiders are considered scary and then they're, you know, spiders and, and tarantulas are common Halloween decorations. There are some in the tarantula hobby that they really want to uh, kind of move beyond that and and not be associated with Halloween or scary things. Like they see that as uh, derogatory and damaging to the integrity of the hobby, so to speak. You know what I mean? Like, it, so if I make a video conflating Halloween and tarantulas, uh, you know, like like I do a Halloween special every year, and it seems every time I do that. You know, I, I get comments from the same people, the same group of people within the hobby that, you know, the, the, that offends them. And they're very upset that I would, it's always a comment like, you've set us back five years as a hobby by doing this. And it's like, I wasn't, I didn't say anything that was a lie or untrue. You know, I just, I was, this is just like the top five gothic tarantulas or the top 10 Halloween tarantulas, you know, because it's called a skeleton leg tarantula or a ghost spider. Like, it's cheesy as hell, man. Like, why are you getting upset about this? Yeah, it's, 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 believe it or not, people, it's actually okay to have fun once in a while. Yeah, yeah. And then I did one video that's the top 10 dangerous tarantulas. People lost their mind. And it's like, well, if you click on the video, like, which is the whole reason for a compelling thumbnail and title, like, you're like, oh my God, there's dangerous tarantulas. And you click on it the first like three minutes is me talking about how tarantulas aren't actually dangerous. Uh, they're defensive and the difference between those two things. And then we go into a countdown on the top 10 defensive species. And it's like, it did, that didn't matter. The content didn't matter at all. It was the thumbnail said dangerous tarantulas. And therefore I am an enemy of the hobby. And I was just like, but it's got like 400,000 views. So 400,000 people thought they were going to be like, seen some dangerous tarantulas and instead they got educated that tarantulas are not dangerous <laughs> and why they have that kind of stereotype and it's like that's a good thing <laughs> it's like no you said dangerous i'm like oh my god you're not a rational person there's a special place in hell for you richard <laughs> yeah <laughs> and then i got it like i got really into i like pulled out a dictionary i'm like the definition of dangerous is that it has the possibility of causing harm and like skateboarding is dangerous because you could fall off it. Technically, this tarantula, it could bite me. So 
it, it, it's the same probability maybe maybe a little bit more than falling off a skateboard i don't know but you know dangerous isn't like doesn't mean deadly you know it just means this could hurt it would be funny if you put a spin on it like um you know like this tarantula is dangerous not because of his venom but because he <laughs> but because he has a suspended driver's license and has been known <laughs> to drink excessively like <laughs> well, like, <laughs> <laughs> okay. Wait. When when does this podcast come out? Do you say it's like, yeah, you know, around Halloween? I'm trying to. Well, for everybody listening now, this should be like a couple of days before Halloween. Okay. Cool. Because that means I can tell you about this then. Uh, All right. Because the video will be out by then. Uh, Tie dye tarantulas is a, a dealer down in Southwest Virginia uh, in Princeton. Great people. They it, it's the weirdest little business because they they tie dye T-shirts and hats and you know that's like you know tie dyed clothing. And then in the other room, like in the back room, they sell tarantulas. They breed and sell tarantulas. So it's like you can go get your tie-dye and a spider from the same shop. Uh, it, it, they are having their uh, anniversary. And they, you know, they're friends of mine, but they're also more wanting to kind of do like a, some kind of video announcing their anniversary or you know, uh, trying to get people to come to their shop and, and you know, do the thing there. And one of the times they were here at the studio, we were hanging out just kind of you know, bullshit and laughing. Uh, one of the videos I get the most requested for is like a top five or a top 10 fossorial species video, which is to me just is ridiculous because they're, you're, you're saying they're fossorial tarantulas. They live underground 95% of the time. How in the hell do you think I'm going to get footage of them? You know, like <laughs> you want me to put, like flood their burrow and, and force them out just so I can have them on a table and, and film. I was like, if I wait until I have to rehouse them, like, that's going to take years, you know, of uh, one at a time getting this, this one species filmed, you know, I mean, maybe I rehouse a fossorial full grown once or twice a year, if that, you know, of all the species I have. So I always just kind of laugh, like, that's just ridiculous. <laughs> and so they were like, instead of doing an advertisement, we want to sponsor a video that's a top five fossorials. And I was like, okay. And they're like, but we don't want you to show any tarantulas. So you'll have number five, the Chilibrockies, uh, Von Worthy. And then you just do really cool B-roll of an enclosure full of dirt and don't ever show the spider. <laughs> and then move on to number four. And I was like, all right, let's do it. <laughs> so uh, coming out next week, or by the time they're listening to us, it will already be out. But there'll be a top five fissorial tarantula that's just a tongue-in-cheek kind of gag. That's uh, hopefully will be funny. <laughs> that's great. That, that is, I, was, I was thinking about, I was like, you know what? It'd be really funny if you just showed a box of dirt. That's yeah. that's great. That's great. I'm gonna get like the sexy lighting and like cool <laughs> camera pans and stuff like like it's gonna it will really showcasing this uh, glass box full of dirt. That's 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 I love it. That's great. Well, Richard, we're 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 at the end. I my my I'm kind of like done for with my voice. I understand. But um, I want to thank you for putting up with me and uh, ironing out all of our initial. Uh, Everyone, just so everyone knows, Richard's been a good sport. We kind of started off with some bad audio quality, and we we, we, we persevered. <laughs> we scrapped it, and we started over. So, so if I ever repeated myself on the podcast, like there were many times I was talking, I was like, I feel like I've already said this. Uh, I don't remember if I said this in this podcast or like the one that we recorded earlier that we had to scrap. So I don't know. Yeah, I think we, we, we caught it. We caught it quick. but so, so, Richard, um, anybody who doesn't already follow you, can how can people uh, find out more about your content? Just Google the Tarantula Collective. Uh, I think that I've been banging on the SEO um, uh, well enough that everything will pop up right there at the top. But, I mean, YouTube, Tarantula Collective, 
Tarantula Collective on Instagram. Post a lot of short form content there. Uh, a lot of like reels, short like thirty second informational videos, and and a lot of the photography that I do, uh, like macro photography of, of of different invertebrates. And uh, and then I'm also like on TikTok and Twitter and all the others. I just not very active there. But Instagram and and YouTube are are the the best places to find me. But man, thank you so much for having me on again. It's always a pleasure talking to you. And even with technical difficulties, like I was like, uh, I told my wife, I'll be there for an hour. I'll be back home before the kid goes to bed. And it's like, all right, well, maybe I'll be here for three hours, but it's all cool. I know, I know, I know. And we're talking to you, man. And yeah, and thanks, thanks for being a thanks for being a good sport. You and I always have a lot to talk about. Oh yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's not like I haven't also had issues <laughs> recording my podcast. Yeah, so. it happens. But uh, yeah, hey, which, look, we which, had a uh, exotic pet collective you can search that on spotify that's the only thing that's not tarantula collective i forgot to mention that <laughs> but yeah yeah i've had issues before uh with guests and it's like okay we're, we're gonna have to spend an hour getting the audio worked out because our connections are weird and stuff like that but yeah. yeah luckily i had nothing else to do so if you're cool to hang i'm cool yeah yeah i mean it's it's it was worth it in the end i'm, I'm everything worked out great and this is like the most social interaction i've had in probably four or five days me too me too this is probably <laughs> the most i've had in four to five weeks <laughs> wow <laughs> all right I everyone because i was at tinley so that was <laughs> yeah, was hard yeah. To, to avoid people yeah yeah but man thank you so much for having me on and you'll have to come back on my podcast again, yeah so. man definitely 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 stay, definitely uh, always ready for that yeah that was one actually one i don't even think i told you it was one of my highest downloaded podcast was uh one with you you know, I, I you're in the top five. I I looked and I was like, I was like, wow, man, I was like, this is doing, this is doing pretty well. Uh, yeah. So, <laughs> yeah, I I appreciate that. It's it's cool, you know. And um, you know, for everybody listening, you know, it's Exotic Pet Collective. It's it's a great podcast. Richard has some really great guests, and even if you're not into tarantulas per se, there's a lot of other crossover content in there. He's had some really cool guests. A lot of insightful people, a lot of great conversations. So if you haven't already done so, by all means, go go check it out. Thank you. And and even the tarantula content, a lot of times we're discussing that, but we're also discussing how that applies across the board to all kinds of species. So oh, yeah. a little bit of for everybody. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, you and I draw some parallels earlier. There's a lot of crossover that I think applies. All right, everyone. Again, big thanks to Richard for coming on, and I uh, hope you guys enjoyed this episode. And I want to want to wish all of you a happy Halloween, and that everyone has a nice, fun time. Enjoy this time of year, and um, you know, again, just be kind to each other, take care of each other, and stay tuned. I'll catch up with you guys again next time.